Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Say it again. Thank you. They are. All right, all right, watch out. All right. What is it? Fuck the police. All right. Say it. Can you do the? Can we hear you, Zabrata? All right. Power to the people. Power to the people. Thanks, kids. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 26th of July, year of our Lord, 2020. How you doing out there? That was a toddler. Yeah. Toddler. At a protest. Do we, do we remember all the... If you brought your child to a lockdown protest, social services should be called on you, you're a terrible parent. Remember that? that that's a toddler at the Portland protest. Which is the main thesis, again, of our podcast today, will be the Portland protest. But before we get to it, I, I just, I, I was going to play a soundbite, but I'm not going to. The Not Fucking Around Coalition uh, decided to go and lose their fucking shit yesterday in Louisville. And the way we found out about it was not that something actually happened. Because the three percenters were there, and of course they're the bad people. But the not fucking around coalition of back panthers dressed in the same gear with weapons that are financed by somebody, but the media's not figuring out who's the somebody. Yeah, they were there because of Breon Taylor, who was killed four months ago. And one of their wahoos doesn't know how to use a weapon. So they did a negligent discharge. That's an accidental discharge. Shot three other people with it. And the reason we found out that it was something was going on is three injured as rival armed militia converge on Louisville. Hundreds of armed militia members from the all-black NFAC marched through Louisville Saturday, far outnumbering members of the far-right three percenters. And then in paragraph three, it's they shot themselves. But the media initially was, oh, those white supremacists did it, because three percenters are now white supremacists. Um, any non-liberal is a white supremacist. So I wanted to hit it up front, because that's, that's our media. Ever ready to start a race war, stir racial division in the country so they can get Biden elected, and then the moment all this shit goes away, it'll be like it never happened. But that, that's just some bullshit. So before we get into Portland violence and our violent left, uh, got to cover some stuff up front. And it's statistics, which the media definitely aren't going to cover. A&E. Viewership takes nosedive in aftermath of live PD cancellation. They're only averaging 498,000 viewers, period. They've decreased 50% since the moment they did it. And in this article, people like me who said, fuck it. 
and stopped the A&E on demand. Stopped. A&E's not even in our lineup on Dish. It just went away. I thought that was pretty cool. Killings. This is from Dan Abrams. Of police officers are up 28% so far in 2020. The killing of Washington State police officer on July 13th marked the death of the 32nd U.S. law enforcement officer, a year which has seen violent protests in the wake of death of George Floyd, a 28% increase in felonious officer deaths over the same period in 2019. ABC News covered it online, but they didn't mark it anywhere else. Because we're not, we, we don't care, you know. Cops dying? Who gives a fuck about that? We're still talk, talking about George Floyd. Yeah. Who, by the way, was on uh, <clears throat> Judge Judy. That was a big thing this week. Her, Him being on Judge Judy. Somebody found it, and per usual, he was there because he fucked up. Another statistic won't come out. Over half of American opposed removing Confederate statues. This is a WAPO poll. Uh, 50% of Americans oppose it, 80% Republican, 56% of independents, 74% of Democrats, they, they want to rid everything. So that's a WAPO, which is skewed 13% liberal, so we're still wrong. Freedom shrinks, 62% of Americans afraid to share political views. The Cato Institute did a national survey uh, nearly two-thirds, 62% of Americans say political climate these days prevent them from saying things they believe because others might find them offensive. Cato stated that the results indicate a rise in self-censorship. Here's the kicker. Strong liberals stand out, however, as the only political group who feel they can express themselves. In fact, nearly 6 in 10, 58% of staunch liberals feel they can say whatever they want. That's because they don't get in trouble. They can say whatever they whatever they want. They're protected by the media and social media. That's just the way it is. Uh, furthermore, the 2020 Cato survey, 62% were an increase from the 2017, where 58% of Americans agreed with the statement that they feel they need to self-censor. Cato broke down the results among political affiliation. These fears cross partisan lines. Majority of Democrats, 52%. Independents, 59%. And Republicans, 77%. All agree they have political opinions they are afraid to share. Even centrist liberals felt different from strong liberals. A slim majority, 52% of liberals, feel they have to self-censor. This is was um, interesting given that it demonstrates that political expression is an issue that divides a democratic coalition. By contrast, 62%, 64% of moderate and a whopping 77% of conservatives felt the same way. The result reflected how Americans feel about safety of their employment when expressing their political views. Cato stated that nearly a third of employed Americans say they personally are worried about missing out on career opportunities because of their opinions. The results here were evenly split. It's not just one side of the political spectrum. 31% of liberals, 30% of moderates, 34% of conservatives. Then further on, but there was a stark contrast between how strong liberals and strong conservatives feel about executives who donate to their presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, or Trump. Cato stated that the survey found that many Americans think a person's private political donations should impact 
should impact their employment. Specifically, support rises among political subgroups, support increased to 50% of strong liberals who support firing executives who donate to Trump, and more than a third of strong conservatives support firing executive to donate to Biden. So it's still 30% of conservatives are dickheads, but a whopping 50% of all liberals are just dickheads. You can't support people I don't support. That is damning. But where it's most damning is for liberals. Once again, this means when you're doing polls or asking people's opinion of who they're going to vote for, now more than ever, you're not going to say, I'm going to vote for Trump. And once again, that's why polls are fucking useless right now. Who's going to fucking tell the truth when... All you're going to do is get fucking ran out of town or beaten, which we have a lot of today, including murder. Poll Biden's support for redirecting police funding to initiatives is very unpopular. Um, in the Monday fact check of two significant exchanges between President Trump and Fox News, Sunday anchor Chris Wallace, I noted that Trump's assertion that Biden favors defunding police was inaccurate. And even though he had a fairly completing rip available to him on his policy point he failed to use and instead of stumbling into another error what the president could and should have said as biden recently told a left-wing interview that yes absolutely agrees that some police funding should be redirected the stance mirrors how many advocates and defenders of the defund police slogan have defined the term a new poll from abc news and the washington post finds that even in this fraught climate redirecting police fund is underwater only 40% supported cutting funding to police in order to spend more on social service, while 55% oppose it. Among Democrats, 59 support cutting funding, but only 14% are Republican. Uh, meanwhile, 63% oppose paying reparations to black people whose ancestors were enslaved. Only 31% support it. When asked about the recent backlash against police, just over half, 51%, say it's gone too far, while 12% say not far enough. Now, I want you to remember, this is a Washington Post poll. That's upside down. That's mostly liberals and independent, with a small slice, under a third of those responding, are conservative. And yet you still get those results. But keep on keeping on, Biden. Who then decided, well, you know, I, I got all these people behind me. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to play Biden. And then the media, yeah, Biden's right. Trump is the first racist president. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racists, and they've existed. They've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. Joe Biden and former President Obama met face-to-face for the first time in months to team up on a new campaign video where they take turns hitting President Trump on his response to the pandemic. This is Biden unleashes his most direct attack yet on Mr. Trump's character. Here's CBS's Ed O'Keefe. Joe Biden tonight calling out Mr. Trump as the country's first racist president. We have racists and they've existed. They've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. That's what he told a worker who expressed concern that the president blames China for the coronavirus pandemic. 
Meanwhile, Biden and his former boss reunited in a pandemic-style campaign video with masks, social distancing, and criticism of the current president. This guy has generated a sense out there that people are waking up to that he ran by deliberately dividing people from the moment he came down that escalator. Former President Barack Obama heaped praise on his Not former number two. You are going to be able to reassemble the kind of government that cares about people and brings people together. Aides say in the absence of traditional rallies, videos like this one are how Mr. Obama plans to help out. That's just hot garbage. I mean, I'm not even going to read. Well, does Biden know that several presidents own slaves? I mean, Jesus Christ, you're going off what? He won't say America sucks. That's what That's what they're going off. And Charlottesville. So. Then we had the big push for fuck the flag. There was one player who refused to do the baseball game. It was the Giants and... Los Angeles Dodgers, it's this photo, everybody showed it, it was so poignant, they're all on the baseline taking a knee, and just one person um, wouldn't do it, and here's the article from Sports Illustrated, Giants pitcher who wouldn't kneel hid behind his religion. Do you groupthink? Sports Illustrated, Dan Gartland will judge you. He'll even lecture you about your Christianity. Gartland tells readers every player and staff member for four MLB teams took a knee before last night's opening slate of games to make a statement about inequality. Every single one except for Giants reliever Sam Conrad, Coonrod, this is unacceptable to Gartland. They were all kneeling for a recorded, uncontroversial message from Morgan Freeman. It was a carefully constructed display coordinated and approved by the major league baseball in other words it was best a shallow gesture a nod to current zeitgeist but political theater is sacred these days we're all supposed to pretend that we're hopelessly divided by white racism because we make a show of having accepted the lie and doing our penance for unity it's a wise way to go if you don't want to stand out like a sore thumb as gartland says gartland is outraged asked to explain himself about the game con Coonrod hid behind his religion. Hid behind his religion, Coonrod said. I mean, no ill will by it. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I'm just a Christian. I believe I can't kneel before anyone but God and Jesus Christ. I chose not to kneel. I feel if I did kneel, I'd be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Get ready for Gartland's lecture. I don't go to church much anymore, but I'm pretty sure the centrist tenets of Christianity are aiding those less fortunate than you and treating others with love and respect. And that's it. I'm not reading anymore. Go fuck yourself. You guys hate God because people don't believe your shit. 
to me, Coonrod is more of a hero than the rest of the lemmings who could give fucking two shits about black lives, but just don't want the mob to fuck with them. So we have two national anthems coming in the NFL. MLB people are all kneeling wearing Black Lives Matter shirt. And then we have the WNBA, which nobody fucking walks, but they just walked off the court. The anthem was played. We saw the players leave the floor, go back to their respective locker rooms. One of those actions we'll see throughout the season as part of the social justice initiative. Yeah, first of many ways that we will see WNBA plays, players using their voices all season long. This is nothing new for these women. They have been proactive when it comes to speaking out on social injustices for the life of the WNBA. Yeah, one of the reasons to say almost everybody said the same thing I said. Who the fuck watches that? Does anybody watch that? I, I don't watch WNBA. Go walk off the court and stay off the court. And then one other thing up front I wanna I wanna hit is there's this guy, Red T Raccoon. And he literally said I was pepperballed, I was uh flashbang by my own government and I'm a vet and shit. And I, I responded and it's pretty much gone crazy viral because of it. And said, I'm a veteran, I wish they would have hit you and how you can defend it and want it destroyed by Marxist BLM and Antifa shows you were a shit soldier and loyalty to the country was compromised. Because now in Portland, they're rolling out vets, moms, and everything else. And, and I gotta tell you, it's horseshit. Portland is fucking horseshit. You know why I know it's horseshit? Because if we go into our violent left, I'm gonna play a segment that the media, including Fox, censored of the violence that's going on there, and they don't want that violence to go out because they're still playing peaceful protester. Feds are a bunch of fucking goons so that they can continue with the lie that this is all about social justice. For 55 days in Portland, Oregon, we've seen lawlessness, anarchy, and destruction that threatens peace in our streets and the safety of our fellow American citizens and the safety of our brave law enforcement officers. Yet some Democrats and some in the media continue to ignore reality. As Portland's, Portland's Democrat Mayor Ted Wheeler tweeted, quote, what I saw last night was powerful in many ways. I listened, heard, and stood with the protesters, and I saw what it means when the federal government unleashes paramilitary forces against its own people. That was a quote from the Democrat mayor, who quite literally stood in the middle of a riot as violent protesters attacked a federal building. That is appalling, uh, and Mayor Wheeler's clearly failing at his duty to protect uh, his streets and his city there in Portland. The federal government has a sworn duty to uphold the laws of the United States. Through field offices and federal facilities across the country, these agents protect and serve the American people. Yet the rhetoric of the left undermines our justice system, with Nancy Pelosi calling them stormtroopers, uh, Jim Clyburn calling them the Gestapo, and Wheeler using the term paramilitary forces. Under President Trump, violent crime rates in America finally began to fall. Rhetoric like this cannot be allowed to set us back. 
Augmenting the Federal Protective Service, guarding federal property in Portland, our brave officers have since, since augmenting them, I should say, our brave officers have faced all of these various things, like rioters barricading officers inside the Hatfield Federal Courthouse, trapping officers inside, a, quote, commercial-grade mortar firework was launched by rioters, a federal agent's hand was impaled by planted nails, another federal agent was shot with a pellet gun, leaving a wound deep to the bone, and tragically, three federal officers were likely left permanently blinded by the rioters using lasers pointed directly at their eyes. These are not the actions of so-called peaceful protesters, and the Trump administration will not stand by and allow anarchy in our streets. Law and order will prevail, and I have a short video for you because I want it to be real uh, what is happening right now in Portland. So if we could play that video, that'd be great. Obviously, with that last round of attacks, and I see a green light pointing at me from up in the federal building.
this is what they're firing at us. Yep. Can you read it? What does it say? Triple chaser. CS. Where's the other one? Oh, yeah. Safari Land, Casper, Wyoming, uh, part number 1026. Holy shit. Look at the size of it. A rubber bullet? It's a stinger. That's it's a, a half a stinger, yes. It's, it's either a stinger or a Han bowl. I said to the doctor, it was Dr. Ronnie Jackson, I said, is there some kind of a test, an acuity test? And he said there actually is, and he named it, whatever it might be. And it was 30 or 35 questions. The first questions are very easy. The last questions are much more difficult, uh, like a memory question. It's uh, like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay, that's very good. If you get it in order, you get extra points. If you, okay, now he's asking you other questions, other questions, and then 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go person, woman, man, camera, TV. If you get it in order, you get extra points. It is totally fucking out of control. They're burning flags. Andy and Geo, after moms and dads, the next after turfing campaign for Portland riots are patriots. And they brought t-shirts, Americans against fashion protest. Bring your flags. And they just burn flags. Every night they're burning fucking flags. Ted Wheeler, what I saw last night was powerful in many ways. I listened to her and stood protesters, and I saw what it means when the federal government unleashes paramilitary forces. Andy NGO, you stood with five plainclothes security guards protesting you from protesters who tried to hurt you. You ignored the fires around you and the incendiary devices being thrown at the courthouse by rioters. Portland Mayor Wheeler is escorted to safety by a security team. Angry protesters follow and try to assault him despite his support on the front lines of the riot. They try to go inside the building, but is pushed back by Wheeler's security. This is what rioters do to Portland Federal Courthouse every single night. And he shows pictures. It's fucking destroyed. 
Jason Howerton, Ted Wheeler, stop destroying our community. Andy, Adam McKay, I still can't get over this image. I don't know if I ever will. It's horrifying and beautiful and profane and sacred. I really hope we never find out who she is. Americans love to wreck things with names and jobs, celebrities. Nothing st- says sacred like one hoo-hoo on a spread eagle because they won't stop with the lady. They keep putting it up. The naked Athena that nobody could find out who she is because I guess she came out again. Then the Atlantic put out a piece about an officer-involved shooting was a total fraud, and it was in St. Louis. And the Federalists took it the fuck down. It was a total lie, because just like the beginning, they tried to stir some more shit up in St. Louis with fake crap, and then fake this, and fake that, and Louisville fake they're trying to get this everywhere. Sorry about that. I bumped my shit. And it, it's just, it's all fucking horseshit. The whole Portland thing is lies. There was huge articles about Wheeler. Oh, Wheeler got freaking hit by CS in the crowd. But they didn't talk about, fuck Ted Wheeler, do your job, and protesters fucking with him and chasing him around. Portland Police, or excuse me, Portland, Portland Fire Commissioner bans police from staging at fire stations. This was from Willamette Week. The directive was given by Portland Fire Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who demanded on July 18th that Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler hand command of the city's police force over to her if she wasn't going to force officers to scale back their responses to the nightly riots. Mayor Wheeler, if you can't control the police, give me the Portland Police Bureau. Hardesty declared in a letter to the mayor, you're putting our community in danger. You're putting my staff in danger. We need you to do better. I will continue to serve as police commissioner through this time of transformation. Uh, Wheeler said in a statement on Monday, and I will continue to work with elected leaders from the country and the state to ensure that we are examining criminal justice system as a whole. Pyland Fire and Rescue announced at approximately 7.30 July 20th that the city's police is no longer welcome at any of its stationly. Stations. Recently, a story has been circulating that federally contracted law enforcement agents have been using the fire department as staging areas for operations against demonstrators. PFNR would like to make it very clear that these federal agents were not and will not ever be allowed to use our fire stations. Everybody's submitting to the mob. Everybody. Want another example? Cleveland high school coach Del Den Ken Dulian says he's been fired because he's a cop. He's not a teacher. He just teaches a football team. They literally fired him because they didn't want to deal with the mob in Portland. Portland City Commissioner believes it's the police who are sending saboteurs and provocateurs. In the peaceful crowd. Uh, So Portland, Ted Wheeler isn't running the city by himself. And to our surprise, there are city 
officials who have clashed with Wheeler over his welcoming federal officers in the city, which he didn't. Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty did, however, work together with Wheeler to slash police funding $15 million. And no wonder that Hardesty wanted to slash funding police. According to her, the protesters in downtown Portland are peaceful. Willamette Week. She also leveled incendiary charge of Portland cops. Hardesty claimed it was they, not protesters, who had started fires around the government buildings. PDX City Commissioner Hardesty went on to say that she doesn't believe Portland protesters have caused violence or started fires. Instead, she claimed any such actions were carried out by plainclothes police officers. Are you fucking shitting me? And remember, they literally ran Wheeler off, and this is Wheeler at the protest. I know it was hard to hear, but you can hear him saying, I'm on your side, da-da-da-da-da. Everybody, every elected official in Portland should be fucking fired. Every one of them. It, it, is, it is a fucking travesty what they are doing there. But what's even worse is our media. And Steve Schmidt, because of your quotes on this topic, I'm going to begin with you. Overseas, if we saw these pictures, we'd call it something like a, a military junta. Under a Mussolini or a Pinochet, we would make nothing of it. It would just be a Wednesday. Um, however, you've called these men and women jackbooted thugs. You've called them stormtroopers. Here's the question. Is this the, the caravan of this election cycle? This, coupled with the law and order message, coupled with Meadows and Pence and Trump all saying some version of here will be your country under Biden. You are not safe. You're not going to be safe in the suburbs. It, does that justify in their minds camouflaged without name markings or identification, some unit badging, camouflaged, militarized federal troops? Brian, good evening. The president of the United States is a constitutional vandal and a political arsonist. His campaign is failing. He's on track to lose to Vice President Biden, and he has loosed violence in American cities at an epic level. Um, what we're seeing is illiberal, it is illegal, and it is dangerous. When you see these men dressed in those uniforms, it's hard to believe that we're looking at scenes from the United States of America in 2020. This is all very real. The caravan was pretend, it was made up. It was a fiction deployed on Fox News and on right-wing uh, state Trump media, whatever you'd prefer to call it, uh, but it was imaginary. This is very real. The violence is real. The broken bones are real. The injuries are real. Um, and I think it's important that when Donald Trump loses this election, um, one of the things that President Biden should do immediately is, is we should never, ever again see in this country uh, federal officers of any type wearing camouflage uniforms like that. This militarized presence is not something that you see in a healthy democracy. These men are causing chaos in these cities. Um, 
at the end, when you see assaults being made on federal buildings, on a federal courthouse, vandalism, it'd be totally appropriate for federal officers, for marshals to be deployed in a perimeter around the building to secure federal property. But they're there looking for a fight, looking for a brawl. These men, as has been reported, have no training for the mission. This is thuggery. It's federal thuggery. And it's frightening. Ronald Reagan said that freedom is only one generation away ever from being extinguished. And this should scare the hell out of every American. Of Our friend Steve Schmidt calls between the federal stormtroopers and, and jackbooted I mean, we, thugs. The, the, the president suggests the militarized show of force in Portland, Oregon, could be coming soon near you. So a former four-star U.S. I mean, Army general on what some local lawmakers warn is an unwarranted military invasion by these guys. When well, first, look, his message is obvious, right? He said the cities are these breeding grounds now of insurrection and violence, and they are coming to get you uh, in the suburbs. And I am the human wall. I am the last line of defense between you and these marauding mobs uh, from the cities that are coming to get you. Look, there's always an audience, uh, as he has shown, uh, for kind of this overt uh, kind of uh, fanning of racial resentment. But I, it's pretty clear I don't think it's anywhere near a majority. I mean, what's happening, I, I think, very consistently around the country is that people in the suburbs are finding that they identify more with the viewpoints of kind of the urban centers nearby than they do with those of kind of the rural areas 30 and 40 miles uh, further out. You know, it's it's it, the dynamic, you know, in 1968, when Richard Nixon promised law and order, most people in the suburbs, I think, probably believed he could deliver it. Today, uh, it's pretty clear in polling that many, many suburbanites believe that President Trump's approach is increasing their of violence because he is uh, fanning the flames of kind of racial discord in the country. And for that matter, they've certainly reached that same conclusion about his approach to the coronavirus. New this morning, House Democrats are demanding an investigation into the federal law enforcement actions against protesters in Portland, Oregon. They say the Trump administration's actions abused emergency authorities and violates constitutional rights. Joining me now, Democratic Congressman Jim Clyburn. He's the House Majority Whip. Congressman, thank you very much for being with us. And I do want to say we are going to speak at length about the death of your close friend and really American icon, Congressman John Lewis, in a moment. And I am sorry for that loss. First, the news of the day. The Democrats calling for an investigation into what's happening in Portland. What do you want to know? I really would like to know who ordered those people to be there. Uh, The way I understand things, it seems that somebody had to be deputized by the attorney general or some uh, order from him uh, to do what they were doing. And so I believe that law enforcement of that nature should be left up to local communities and these communities, if they want help, they were then uh, summons the federal government to intercede. That's the way it's been done for as far as long as I have been following this sort of thing. Uh, for all of a sudden, these people to go in there, uh, nothing from the governor, nothing from local law enforcement, just show up with their faces covered in unmarked cars. This commercial that we are now here in this ad from the Lincoln Project is exactly uh, what we're about to experience in this country. That is the beginning of the ending 
of this democracy. That kind of activity is the activity of a police state. And this president and this attorney general seem to be doing everything they possibly can to impose uh, Gestapo activities in local communities. And that is what I have been warning about for a long time. I do believe that this election is all about the preservation of the greatest democracy that this country has ever known. One of the videos that has caused concern, and Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon um, disseminated this as well, was of a man being put in an unmarked van on the streets. I wonder if we can show this video so people can see. These are the CBP agents that you were talking about approaching the man, taking him, and then putting him in an unmarked van here. Now, locals there were asking for the officers to identify themselves. There are people who have described this, this is not me, as Orwellian, being put into an unmarked vehicle, being driven away by officers who don't identify themselves. What's your view of this action? uh, So, first of all, unmarked police vehicles are... Uh, so common, it's barely worth discussion. I mean, literally every police department in America has them and uses them. Uh, We are no exception. Uh, That's one. Two, the video you see was after a three-block foot chase um, in which the individual had been identified as matching the description of someone assaulting a federal officer about one hour prior to that video that you see. And um, the person was put in the van. You obviously saw... Uh, the surrounding crowd a little bit there, which was uh, a bit of a dangerous situation, which is why the individual was moved away. And from the time they detained him until the time they released him was under 10 minutes. And in that time, uh, they also identified themselves. By the way, they identified Mm -hmm. themselves to the subject they picked up. They did not identify themselves to the crowd and uh, nor do they feel any obligation to do that, nor will you, ex- will you see that commence. I gotta, uh, we interact with the subjects we're dealing with, and that's it. i got to let and you they go. Identif- they determined, all right, well, they determined that was not the person who did the assault and released him. Um, I, I do have to let you go, but there's a U.S. attorney, a federal U.S. attorney, launching an investigation uh, into the practices out there, and now members of Congress are calling for the same, <laughs> and inspectors general, you're nodding your head. Do you intend to cooperate with these investigations? Yeah. With the inspector general investigation, which is perfectly normal, we run our own investigation of every single use of force, every single one, um, by the Office of Professional Responsibility. So this Mm -hmm. is matter of course for us, and you bet we will. Of course we will. This, as the Washington Post reports, that federal officers have repeatedly fired chemical agents, less than lethal lethal rounds and flashbang devices, at the crowd in recent nights dressed in camouflage and tactical gear and unleashing tear gas federal officers have clashed violently with protesters and pulled some people into unmarked vans in what governor kate brown called a blatant abuse of power the demonstrations have now rocked portland for 55 consecutive nights since the killing of george floyd in police custody in Minneapolis. While this all seems to be part of the president's latest efforts to place so-called law and order at the center of his re-election campaign. 
President Trump announced plans to send federal agents into Chicago and says more cities, all run by Democrats, will be added to the list. Uh, and, and, and yet, even with that happening, David Ignatius, so many people are looking, as we are, what's happening in Portland with unmarked police officers throwing uh, protesters into the back of vans for, with no probable cause and then whisking them away and interrogating them as, as deeply un-American, uh, extraordinarily frightening uh, in, in 2020 for the United States government to have a president uh, who is using these tactics that, uh, you know, of course, uh, people like Pinochet used in the past. You look at federal intervention, it is because it has been asked for and appreciated and welcomed by the local or the state officials who have a problem they cannot manage. That's not the case in Portland. It's certainly not the case in Chicago. And what the president is doing is stoking a law and order meme to appease not, yes. not uh, you know, those folks, but to, to appease those white citizens who look at these places, these largely black and brown cities, these urban centers, and says, oh, my God, we've got to do something. Mr. President, and he's like, I'm here to the rescue. A key part of our Constitution is the protection from the tyranny of government. Where are all those Second Amendment people? That's, that's what they're always carrying on about, protection from the tyranny of government. Have they got anything to say about Portland? The idea that our federal government is using the guise of law and order, bringing in agents to suppress protest, should be shocking to everyone's sensibilities. It is, is anti-American. It is anti-liberal. Uh, Are you concerned that in the history of America, some of the most staunch defenders of our liberal democracy, small l liberal democracy, and our rights and our protection against tyranny of the government have been conservatives? Are you surprised at why we are not hearing outrage from more Republicans about what's going on in the streets of America? I'm definitely outraged because I do think that this is a... Uh, an unbelievable time in America, and it's important for those who care about the Constitution and uh, the Declaration of Independence to understand what democracy is based on. And next to the chaos in Portland, Oregon, the mayor now tear-gassed by federal officers during a protest. Mayor Ted Wheeler outside the federal courthouse with hundreds of protesters suddenly engulfed by thick tear gas. The mayor now calling it flat-out urban warfare, telling the New York Times he saw nothing to provoke that kind of response. Protesters setting off fireworks and ripping down protective fencing. This evening, the Justice Department's inspector general has opened an investigation into the use of force by federal agents in Portland, Oregon, as that city's mayor found himself in the middle of new violent clashes. More from Aaron McLaughlin. Overnight in Portland, protesters stormed the federal courthouse, some launching flares and fireworks over the steel barricade. Federal agents respond with tear gas. Portland police declared a riot. Among those gassed, Portland's Democratic mayor. I want to thank the thousands of you who have come out to oppose the Trump administration's occupation of our city. Protester Jennifer Christensen was arrested by federal agents. Like Wheeler, she wants them out. I want to be cared for by members of my own community. We have very little need for policing. We need community services. I mean, it is, it's unbelievable how lockstep they are with everything. I mean, all this is lockstep. If Trump's against something, the media will lie, deceive. I mean, here's two more examples. 
Joy Reid, who's all down with Antifa, and Myers on The Late Show, just lying. But as he shirks responsibility for the very real health crisis, he's deploying a federal police force to combat a fictional one. Trump sent his federal police force, kitted out in camo gear, as as if they're a mini army, to Portland, Oregon, to suppress protesters demonstrating against racial injustice, acting against the will of the governor and the mayor. Trump's forces are snatching people off the streets, forcing them into unmarked vans, reportedly without explanation. And now Trump is sending, threatening to send those same dystopian federal police to even more American cities. Now, just for reference, here are some of the protests that we've seen in Portland, a peaceful group of moms gathered to demonstrate. But Trump would have you believe that America's cities are criminal wastelands, and he's using that trumped-up charge to justify what in any other country, particularly an authoritarian one, would be called the secret police, responsive only to the dear leader. There's two pieces of this that are ominous. There's the secret police aspect of it, these sort of unmarked, you know, militaristic-looking forces that are essentially kidnapping people and holding them without any, you know, not even talking to the local officials and just doing it over their will. These forces that we're seeing deployed into the streets of America's cities. You know, a generation ago, when federal forces were deployed into American cities, it was a relief to people of color. Now, when federal forces are being deployed into America's cities, it's to tear gas and to abuse people, and in some cases, to snatch people off the street without identifying themselves, and essentially to kidnap them. It's a secret police. You know, and you know, I can recall being in um, in, in in Baltimore for the Freddie Gray up, uh, you know uprising, and it, that's an absolute truth. You know, the 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 tanks on the streets were a provocation, and the you know, and these were police officers who were dressed up like they were in the military with all of this sort of uniform on that made them look almost like they were military people, and that was indeed provocative. Let's not let sideshows, ancillary missions like this, derail our core mission and discredit us in the communities where we need to operate. And plainly, no one is making that calculation right now. And it's actually probably making things worse, not better. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, you, you, when it looks like an invasion, the natural inclination is to resist it. Okay, you know what's crazy? Donald Trump's campaign ads. Who's producing these things? They're a mix of like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and Friday the 13th. You've reached 911. I'm sorry that there is no one here to answer your emergency call. But leave a message, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Okay, so first of all, almost nothing about that ad is correct. Joe Biden does not want to defund the police, much to the chagrin of many progressives. But that's not the crazy thing. Trump has based his campaign strategy on painting a false portrait of cities under siege. Okay, newsflash. Portland is not an urban hellhole. They literally made a show mocking Portland, Portland, as the land of brunches, veganism, and feminist bookshops. It's called Portlandia. Hello. But that now communities are facing what look like paramilitary troops, a sort of secret police converging on, you know, cities, Democratic-led cities. The people of this country had better be worried about what we're seeing in Portland. 
We have these paramilitary police officers or whomever they are. Why do they have these kind of uniforms on where they cannot be identified? We don't know their names. We don't have anything that uh, identifies them. Uh, they have unmarked cars. They've been pulling people off the street and throwing them into these cars. It has been suggested that this is a trial run by the president of the United States who may be organizing uh, to not accept uh, what happens when we have the election. He wants the white suburbs to be terrified of Black Lives Matter and to think that it's some sort of revolution against the police, etc. But what he's doing now is he's supplementing what were already some violent reactions by some police officers to the protests with his own paramilitary force who are dressed up to look like the military, as if he's trying to create an image that Black Lives Matter protesters are attacking the military or being attacked by the military, or at war with the military. That is actually a pretty scary development, and it leads people to believe that he might be looking to use this again um, for the election. It's not mm -hmm. wagging the dog by coming up with a war against an enemy, a foreign enemy. It is against the American public. So the playbook here is to turn Americans against one another. In a bid to save his flailing campaign by going full 1960s George Wallace and stoking white suburban voters' fears of violent crime, Donald Trump announced today that he's deploying more federal forces to cities around the country. And he helpfully said the quiet part out loud by pointing out that the cities that will be, in a sense, invaded by Trump's secret police are led by Democratic mayors. Democracy is in crisis in Donald Trump's America. Thousands of people were tear gassed last night in Portland by federal officers doing Trump's bidding in his ongoing show of force against American citizens exercising their right to protest. Brutality that left even the city's mayor coughing and wincing as he too was tear gassed. In other cities on the receiving end of Trump's invasion, cities that all happen to be led by Democratic mayors, coincidentally, they are sounding the alarm over Trump's lurch toward authoritarianism. What will you do if these same unnamed, you know, anonymous camel wearing forces pour into your city in response to protests? What are we going to do? We're going to arrest people who break the law. That's what we do. And we're going to prosecute them in the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. My dad volunteered and served in World War II, like most of my uncles, to fight fascism. I would not be doing my part for this country if I didn't say the obvious, which is that we have a president who is acting like an authoritarian dictator. We know he likes them. But he is acting just like one now, and he's doing it against people who are exercising their constitutional rights. What Donald Trump is, is arguing is on its face that he is targeting cities like Chicago, cities like Philadelphia, Democratic-run cities. It's his long-running narrative that cities that are, that are urban cities, that have lots and lots of black and brown folks, are inherently, if they're run by Democrats, inherently dangerous. They're inherently hellholes, hellscapes. The modern conservative movement is a paranoid movement obsessed with conspiracy theories. Remember, this is the same political movement that thinks the world scientists all got together and fabricated the climate crisis as part of an elaborate plot to outlaw airplanes and barbecues. Good thing we elected Donald Trump to protect our flights and social gatherings. And now those same lunatics think graffiti and light property damage constitute domestic terrorism. For example, take acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf. You know, Dracar Noir, if it grew up to be a real boy. Anytime a government is calling its own citizens violent anarchists, it should raise alarms. So what did these supposedly violent anarchists do to deserve that name? Well, you'll be shocked to find out it's complete bull****.
Chad Wolf. He is the acting Secretary of Homeland Security. To justify what Donald Trump is doing, he tweeted out images of himself viewing graffiti that had been put on buildings in Portland. And the DHS put out a statement pointing to the buildings it said had been graffitied by, quote, violent anarchists. So the mission of the Department of Homeland Security is to deploy secret police to the streets of American City to stop graffiti and some light property damage. Graffiti? You're going full dictator over some graffiti. What's next? You're going to send in SEAL Team 6 to arrest love-struck teens carving their initials into a tree? Okay, you just finished carving the heart shape into the tree. Now he's going for the TLA. Take the shot! Take the shot, Todd! That's right. Our government used graffiti to justify sending secret police to an American city to abduct protesters into unmarked vans without telling them who they are, where they're going, or why they've been arrested. But it would be bad enough if what they were doing was using secret police to enforce laws against graffiti. That's already chilling. What they're actually doing is even worse. They're just snatching peaceful protesters off the street. They're kidnapping people and not even telling them what they're being charged with. It's fucking gaslighting, man. They even did, uh, Rolling Stones did articles. New York Times. Protesters of Portland have been in the streets for more than 50 consecutive days. Federal agents deployed there are hardest of their resolve to stay. On Saturday, a group of women locked arms and chanted, Fed stay clear, moms are here. A wall of moms yelling, wearing yellow stretch across a whole block in Portland last night and led a march to federal courthouse. CNN. New York Times, another article. From Antifa to mothers and helmets, diverse elements fuel Portland port protest. And the NGO. Some of the moms lauded in the media joined in on trying to break in and set the federal courthouse on fire. We showed it last one. Next tweet. I recognize a lot of the so-called moms as the same Antifa women who dress in black at recent as a couple days ago. They just put on yellow shirts now for optics. Most of these people aren't mothers, and many don't even identify as female. <laughs> That's so true, which is just like the vets. I mean, I can play a soundbite of the vets. Now the media, oh, wall of vets, wall of dickheads. That's all it is, wall of dickheads. James Dickinson, I wrote about the wall of moms, administration that brought you kids in cages. It tear-gassed moms. Chucky death chart. I hope they all take all those minivans away from those federal thugs. How do you know they're actually moms? By moms, you mean Antifa women in yellow shirts? They literally just wrote mom on their shirt with a black Sharpie. And then M Mark Noller and the rest of the media, he started talking about Trump. Fuck this. We're going to send them everywhere. We're going to send, they're going to start working in other cities because this is out of control. And then he started Operation Legend, was named in honor of Legend Telefaro. A four-year-old boy was fatally shot in Kansas City. His mother's remarks are powerful. Operation Legend is not to harass, is not to harm or to hurt. It's to help investigate unsolved murders. Rick Wilson. Operation Legend is better branding than Operation Extra Goal Attacks, snatching protesters off the streets, and unmarked vans and beating veterans with clubs, which they didn't do. One guy got physical with the feds, and they defended themselves. The whole world just said, shut up, Rick Wilson. Then, meet the press got on it. First read, the Republican silence on what's happening in Portland is jarring. Republican silence on what's happening in Portland is jarring. You follow American politics over the last 10 years, you might be surprised that Republicans are more outraged at Liz Cheney than they are federal armed agents that just tear gas the city's mayor. 
Andrew Clark, what a joke of a take. Republicans have been screaming from the rooftops about the rioting and violence happening in Portland and federal efforts to stop it. It's the media that's been silent and refuses to cover any of the violence while insisting it's peaceful, which is all they do. Then we even have New York Times reporters, Rick, Nick, Nicholas Kristoff. Rick, come to Portland and you'll find that the city in flames narrative is nonsense. There are a couple blocks in downtown that are in tumult each night, though partly because of Trump's fault. Rich Grinnell, Oregonians, your local political leaders have failed you. Stop voting for them. Then we have a reporter, and this is a little long. He goes down to cover it, and once again, the Antifa thugs snatched his goddamn phone. No. <laughs> no, I'm not with the police. No. I'm a fucking pussy for filming? Fuck you. What happened? What's that? Yeah, I'm okay. I was ordered to stop filming and I'm not going to do that. You got the app to blur faces? No. Are you posting it? Yeah. Well, you should calm down on that shit. What do you mean calm down? You shouldn't tell people like that. Why not? I the mean, there's an app that's super easy to get that blurs faces. It's a public event, so I'm just filming. Black Lives Matter. Okay. Can I have that back, please? Black Lives Matter. Okay, I agree. Say it to me. Black Lives Matter. Y'all don't fucking believe me. Black Lives Matter. Can I have that back, please? Fight. I'm not gonna leave. Do that. Okay, I apologize. I'll leave. No. I'll leave. Get the fuck out of here. I'll get out of here. Let me see you back out here. I'm gonna fucking stomp you out. I will back out. Fuck out. Get the fuck out of here. All right, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Leave that shit. I'm leaving. Bad decision, bro. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. This is how life fucking gets fucked up. You ain't on the fucking cause, bro. We're, we're lucky we let you walk out of here. Alright. See? See? Fuck out of here, right? Collectivist. Fuck it now. It's us against you, you fucking cracker ass bastard. I'm going. I'm oppression that you're fucking trying to name me. Fuck out of here, oppression. You want more oppression? You want black folks to keep you out of here? You want black folks to keep you out of here? I'm going. people so um don't know if you caught that but the uh i'm gonna get a little farther away here
All right, so uh, I think I'm far away enough now to uh, regroup. Okay, <laughs> well, um, had my phone snatched midstream. Guy was not really uh, happy with me. Let's tie my shoe here. I had something thrown at me. I'm not sure if you could see that. I uh, think it was a beverage and uh, got splashed a little bit with it. Nothing too crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm a. Uh, thankfully, uh, to get the phone back. It's not like there are any police available to uh, help out in the event that you need to uh, retrieve stolen property. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, interesting. I, uh, I guess they feel like they have the authority to demand that people not film a public event and to chase people out which you know I did because I would have been outnumbered there um, and uh, I wanted my phone back so I don't know if you saw that but they made me the white guys uh, they required me to recite the mantra of Black Lives Matter in order to get my phone back so that's what I did yeah. Uh, it was, uh, unexpected. Uh, I'm actually, uh, <laughs> part of me is surprised that he even gave the phone back. Um, he just ran off with it. Not sure how I would have got it back. I don't even know where I am right now exactly. Um, hey, you know which way uh, Salmon, Salmon Street is? I don't know. You know what I'm talking uh, about? Gotta be that way, man. That way? I think yeah. so. I think you're right. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> I could easily get my uh, maps out, but I don't want to stop the stream. Um, okay, so I'm trying just to, uh, recall what else happened there. I mean, the basic thing that happened was I was recording this stream as I had been for the previous, I don't know, 40 minutes without incident, and, uh, some people didn't like that, so told me to stop filming. I declined to stop filming, and then, uh, sort of confronted by two gentlemen seemed to be angry uh, one of them snatched the phone thankfully it kept streaming as the guy had the phone snatched 
Um, and uh, that's it. Yeah, I had to apologize. <laughs> I had to uh, tell them Black Lives Matter. They were screaming that I was oppressing blacks by filming. Like I wanted to, I don't know, keep them in shackles or something simply by into filming, which uh, is not an argument that I would necessarily find persuasive. Um, all right, so right now I'm in the uh, back in downtown. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of in the commercial district of. Uh, <clears throat> Portland Moors, you can see a lot of stuff is boarded up. Um, not 100% sure whether this would be from the riots or COVID or some combination of the two. I'm assuming largely riots. Um, don't know for sure. Alright, people. I'm going to... Uh, Try to find my car right now and uh, therefore end the stream. So thank you. It ended uh, interestingly. I uh, hightailed my butt out of there. Um, and yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Have a wonderful night. So we still continue on on this. We're going to do our A block break, but we have all sorts of articles still. Of how the media is just, I mean, they literally love Antifa. They love what they're fucking doing. They think they're great guys. So for our music break, her voice is a WMT, WMD. Antifa Karen chews out federal agents. We're going to play a New York father and daughter beating the fuck down. Another protester that was there, baby protester. Yeah, they, they brought a baby fucking protester to it because once again you you can take liberal kids to the party but you do a lockdown protest that doesn't burn beat or hurt anybody you you got social services on your ass
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. The people of this country had better be worried about what we're seeing in Portland. We have these paramilitary police officers or whomever they are. They're federal officers or agents of some kind that's been organized by the president of the United States. He did not contact the local mayors. He did not contact the governors. He just sent them in. Who are these people? Why do they have these kind of uniforms on where they cannot be identified? We don't know their names. We don't have anything that uh, identifies them. Uh, They have unmarked cars. They've been pulling people off the street and throwing them into these cars. I want to tell you, Joy, this is what you see in countries where you have dictators, in third world countries with dictators who have paramilitary that they can call out against the people anytime they want. As a matter of fact, it has been suggested that this is a trial run of the President of the United States who may be organizing uh, to not accept uh, what happens when we have the election. If he's not elected, is he going to pull out his military? Is he going to engage us? He is already alluded to there may be a civil war. If he's not reelected, this is dangerous. We are trying to find out more about it. We have sent off information, uh, you know, to the FBI, uh, every place, asking all of these questions about who are these people, where do they come from, who's paying them, and why is it being done in secret? Yeah, I think that is those are the questions a lot of people are asking around the country this evening. Congresswoman Maxine Waters, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time tonight. And, well, and let me now bring in, of course, thank you very much, Congresswoman. Let me now bring in Jason Johnson and Charlie Sykes. To- so let's unpack that. Bringing a baby and saying, fuck the police. The silence you heard was a white dad and his daughter who was stripped naked and beaten in a bodega. And that was Maxine Waters. The big theme now is let's fear people into voting for Biden. It's here's Ellison. We shouldn't even call the cops as somebody was raped. If you're a woman who's been a victim of a sexual assault and the assailant is ran away, wouldn't you rather talk to somebody who is trained in helping you deal with what you're dealing with? as opposed to somebody whose main training is that they know how to use a firearm, right? I mean, these people are all in. They want to get elected, and the way they think they're going to get elected is get the 18% of the country who want to destroy the fucking country. They think those people are the ones that are going to save them. And, And I don't understand why you would think that's a course of action. Why? Why would you think that? It is the craziest thing I've ever fucking heard. But once again, they think if we scare everybody and we go with this, they're not, they don't want this. They don't want their cities burned down. So we can fear that ass into it. New York Times, right on it. Encourage violent Portland Antifa. Fears of rising fascism 
justified. Mike Baker's coverage of violence by the Oregon Anarchists made the front of Wednesday's print edition. Chaos engulfs the left, the right, and the moms in the middle. Taking the side of the violent prone radicals of Antifa, Baker forwarded their views that the federal response meant fears about rising fascism in the United States justified. Seeing as how the months of unrest drew out of a complicated mix of grievances with a wide array of people expressing them using a multitude of tactics to make sure they got hurt. So they justify it. Bullet points. The combative deployment of camouflage federal agents has only made things worse. To the protesters, the president's unusual deployment of federal power has provided yet more compelling evidence that their fears about rising fascism in the United States are justified, while others have shown up to demonstrate peacefully, peacefully, peacefully. Ads play on fear as Trump raises tension in the cities with an effort to tar Biden's standoff with federal agents fuel message of law and order, a false narrative about Democratic elected officials allowing dangerous protesters to create widespread bedlam. Then they come out with right-wing media, not nuanced on Portland riots. Devoted an entire print page Thursday to ongoing clashes between left-wing radicals and federal officers of Portland under the rubric, Whose Streets Are Our Streets? The headline is a chant from the Antifa anarchists occupying and setting fires downtown Portland. It's also a giveaway to which side the paper's news staff is on. Mike Baker and Thomas Fuller reported from Portland with affection for the street radicals. Portland protesters employ irregular tactics and protective gear scrounged from homes. The federal authorities have seized on the lighting of fires as further justification of the presence of Portland. There were fewer fires. I mean, they this whole article is, they did nothing wrong. And then the Atlantic, well, they just give no fucks. They come right out and say it. If Trump wins a second term, especially if his victory relies on a rural surge to overcome opposition across the big metros, the chaos in Portland might look like a preliminary skirmish for an even more incendiary collision to come, Ron Brownstein writes. Trump is determined to split the country in two. He's trying to rally red America by portraying blue cities as a threat and then positioning himself as a human wall against them. New offensives against major cities from President Donald Trump and GOP governors are pushing at the central geographic fault line between right and left. On one front, Trump is taking his confrontational approach towards big cities to an ominous new level by deploying federal law enforcement. On the other, Republican governors, especially but not exclusionary across the Sun Belt, have repeatedly blocked mostly Democratic local leaders from locking down their communities. Oh, see, we're going to put them in thing. A common threat as a twin confrontation is that they pit Republican officials who rely on support primarily from exurbs and small town and rural voters against major metropolitan people that know everything. And then this whole article just devolves into, you know, if Trump and his people do this, it's going to go to hell. I'm not going to read it because it'll just piss you the fuck off. I'll read the ending. Um, 
he is trying to rally Red America by portraying blue cities as a threat and then position himself as a human wall against them. Until now, Trump has advanced a division version, divisive version through rhetoric, denouncing cities, and through policies that cost them money and an influence, such as eliminating the federal deduction for state and local taxes, trying to block Justice Department grants for cities that don't fully cooperate with federal immigration authorities, and his renewed effort to strip undocumented immigrants from the census. But in these final months before the November election, Trump's deployment of federal forces is transforming his political war on big cities and is something much closer to the real thing. It's breathtaking and it's danger, said Emmanuel, the former Chicago mayor. And if Trump wins a second term, especially that victory relies on another rural surge to overcome massive opposition across big metros. The chaos in Portland might look only like a preliminary skirmish for an even more incendiary collision to come. Basically, vote Biden or you're all going to die. And once again, he only deployed those troops because nobody will stop the violence and federal buildings will be protected by federal forces. Replies, translation, like Biden, we burn America's cities to the ground. If Is that a threat to say if Trump wins, the metros won't accept the results and will continue with their plan of burning cities to the ground? I mean, NYPD went in and swept out freaking their Occupy Zone because they reset it up. Nobody cares. I mean, remember, they said they were going to do this. Here's Bernie, bro, and then a segment from Tucker on the extremes of the left. He attained the rich. I always said, you know, I'm a communist. I'm ready to start tearing bricks up and start fighting. I'm not. I'm not. No cop, bro. I'm not. I'll start up. I'll start up dead arms. I want to learn how to shoot and go train. I'm ready for the revolution. All right. He attained the rich. So, do we just seize? Do we just dissolve the the Senate, House of Representatives, the Senate branch, and have somebody like Bernie Sanders and a cabinet of people make all the decisions for the climate? I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. What what will help is when we send all the Republicans to the (laughs) re-education. Can you imagine Mitch McConnell? Oh, God, he wouldn't survive a day. Lindsey Graham. (laughs) I realize they're founded as re-education. Right. The first gulag that was open, have you heard about the Bellamore Canal? People came from America to work on the Bellamore Canal for the Soviet project, for the communist project. Wow. And the gulags became a lot more political as they went on. There's a tool. It's like a boogeyman. You know what? We have more people in prison in this country right now than Russia did at the height of the gulag. Breach. We do. It's a, that's a nut. It's essentially. I only learned this in college when I started studying the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was not horrible. No. It wasn't. I mean, for women's rights, the Soviet Union is, I think, the most progressive place to date in the world. Leave it to the Soviets to make the most badass, most effective gun in the world. Engineering, great. The destruction, the destroyer of imperialism and colonization. I mean, everywhere. That's why I want to get it tattooed on me.
I'll straight up, right? I'll straight up get arms. I want to learn how to shoot and go train. I'm ready for the revolution. All right. Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Chicago is the third biggest city in the United States. Millions of people live there. For 150 years, it was the hub of America's manufacturing economy. If any one place can credibly claim to have built this country, it's Chicago. So we should care what happens there. Unfortunately, what is happening now in Chicago is almost all bad. In fact, it's a disaster. Thanks to the corruption of local officials, Chicago is bankrupt. The city is so deeply in debt billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars in debt that no economist believes it can ever pay its bills. Taxpayers know this. They understand they will be punished for the crimes of their leaders. So they're fleeing the city in record numbers. Those who've stayed behind now worry about getting killed. Just this week, so far, 106 people have been shot in Chicago. Just an hour after last night's show, for example, six people were shot in one drive-by shooting on the city's south side. Two of them died. And it's not just happening in poor neighborhoods in Chicago. Here's surveillance video of gunmen opening fire downtown. Two people were hit by bullets, one was killed. Among many others murdered in Chicago have been many, many children. This man's first grader, for example, was shot in the head. To see my daughter on the table with a gunshot wound to the forehead, Seven-year-old Natalia Wallace was shot in the head and killed over the weekend in Chicago as she played outside with her siblings. Visualize the seven-year-old shot bleeding to death while the family is there. Also among the innocent victims, police say 14-year-old Fernando Jones was shot and killed by gang members on the 4th of July. It's awful. Chicago wasn't always like this, and if you're from there, you know that very well. Chicago was a beautiful place. There are a lot of reasons it isn't anymore, but near the top of that list is a woman called Lori Lightfoot. She's the mayor. Like a lot of big city mayors, Lightfoot is incompetent. She has no idea what she's doing. You wouldn't let her plan your spring break. She'd send you to Wuhan by accident. But what makes Lori Lightfoot unusual is the remarkably aggressive way that she lies. Lightfoot says things that are so implausible they could be part of a comedy routine, but she's not joking. She expects you to believe every word of it. Here she is, for example, blaming violence in Chicago on, of all people, Republicans. Why are we engaged in such violence? Because there are too many damn guns on our streets. And why is that so? Because the Republican leadership for way too long, including this, this president, refuses to even have a conversation about common sense gun reform. See? It's the Republicans' fault that Chicago is now more dangerous than many third world countries. That makes sense. The only problem is there aren't really any Republicans in Chicago. Donald Trump got 12% of the vote there. Of the 50 aldermen on Chicago's city council right now, not a single one of them is a Republican, not one. So if you blame Republicans for what's happening in, say, West Texas or at the villages, you might have a point. But in Chicago, it's absurd. Even Lori Lightfoot seems to know that that excuse just won't work. It's too stupid. So she's moved on to a new excuse. You know why Chicago is circling the drain right now? You know why all those children are getting murdered? Because of Christopher Columbus. Yes. 
an Italian navigator who never got within a thousand miles of the loop and who, by the way, died more than 500 years ago. He did it. It's Columbus's fault. This morning, Lightfoot ordered the city to take down two Christopher Columbus statues, one in Little Italy and one in Grant Park. That'll fix the problem. You can let your kids play outside now. Confusing on one level, though, in case you're wondering why Lightfoot chose Christopher Columbus to blame for a city's decline. Why not Marco Polo? Why not Vasco da Gama? Well, there's a reason. Her constituents demanded it. Not voters or taxpayers. There was never any groundswell of opposition to Christopher Columbus in Chicago. He's not on the list of present concerns for most people there. No. Lightfoot, Lightfoot's actual constituents wanted Columbus taken down. Her actual constituents are Antifa. Last week, the mob descended on Grant Park to rip down the Columbus statue. Almost 50 police officers were injured in the riot you just saw, but Lori Lightfoot didn't care. They're not her voters. Lightfoot cares about her base, the looters, the destroyers, the angry Marxist rich kids with the spray paint. When they tell her to act, Lori Lightfoot acts immediately. The problem for the rest of us is the mobs will not stop with Christopher Columbus. He's just the beginning. If they can tear down statues whenever they feel like it, how long before they tear down buildings? How long before they tear down homes? How long before they tear down human beings? Probably not very long. Violence rarely remains symbolic. It accelerates until good people rise up to stop it. If Lori Lightfoot and progressive mayors like her around the country, and there are many, are allowed to divert attention from their own failures by bowing to the mob and destroying public property, this will not end with Christopher Columbus. It will get much worse and it will get more dangerous. You may not think tearing down a statue is a big deal until you are the next designated Christopher Columbus. Bob Woodson has studied American cities for decades. He founded the Woodson Center. We're honored to have him on tonight. Mr. Woodson, thanks so much for coming on. I see, I see a theme here, and it's not just Lori Lightfoot. It's many big city mayors and even smaller city mayors. As the problems they face become more complex and harder to solve, their solutions seem to become more frivolous and more disconnected from reality. Have you noticed this? Absolutely. And what they're doing is falsely claiming that the failures of the last 60 years and most urban centers all over the country have been run by liberal Democrats, many of them veterans of the civil rights movement who moved from politics, I mean, from the civil rights to run these cities. They also had uh, to spend about $22 trillion on poverty money in these cities. And, and as a consequence, all of these inequities that they are talking about have been done on their watch. And so as conditions, spending went up as conditions deteriorated. But rather than address the, the reality of what they do is they point to institutional racism or factors that exempts them from any responsibility for uh, taking care of these problems. And now the, the white left is coming in and exploiting this, this disparity and using it to really decimate this country. And the collateral damage in this are the lives of poor blacks in these cities 
because what the left is doing is vilifying the police as, as, as agents of white supremacy and the more they are vilified, the less aggressive they are about enforcing laws, the more the, rate, the murder rate rises. What black, low-income blacks are facing is not bigotry or institutional racism. It is systematic neglect and abandonment and treasonous behavior. Bigotry is not their biggest challenge. It's treason. What is happening in these cities is it's a difference, uh, Tucker, between a burglar who steals what's in your house and an embezzler that steals everything you've accumulated over a lifetime. And what black America is being uh, stolen is their history of how they resisted and overcame oppression and that's being wiped away. Chicago used to be the black, the black Wall Street in segregation. In 1929, there were 731 black-owned businesses. There were 100 million in real estate assets at a time when, when segregation was the law. And so you can't blame institutional racism or systematic racism or, or legacy of slavery for the failures. These are, this has occurred precisely uh, as the civil rights leaders became leaders of these cities. So Lori Lightfoot would tell you, and, and again, it's not just Lori Lightfoot by a mile, it's, so, it's virtually every one of these mayors, that she cares so deeply about the poorest people in her city. Should we believe that? Absolutely not. I mean, and, and I believe, Tucker, that the salvation of this country may sound odd, are going to be that sleeping giant. When low-income blacks wake up and realize that they're being bamboozled and hustled and scammed by people like Lori Lightfoot and others, they are going to realize that they must address the enemy within because the left derives this moral authority as being the legitimate representatives of the poor. A metaphor for that occurred in Oregon when a, a black police officer was talking to two young black demonstrators and a white demonstrator interposed herself in between and said, F the police. And this, so that's a metaphor for how whites are exploiting that but one day, there's evidence that that sleeping giant, that low-income leaders around the country are, are, are recognizing this, as in Washington, an uh, 11-year-old boy was killed, Tucker, on 4th of July. And the people demonstrated internally and said, no justice, no sleep. And they picketed and made noise until the killers were turned in. Another group... Uh, of, of the Alliance of Concerned Men in Washington, D.C., a group of, of healing agents within the highest crime area, has gone now 65 days without a single violent incident because they, they uh, address their problems by mobilizing the internal resources, the resilience, uh, the self-determination of people inside. And, and, and so we, we've demonstrated that islands of peace can be created if you stop looking externally uh, right. and stop listening to the left and instead listening to the people and give them the power to, to be agents of their own uplift and yeah. stop these hustlers from exploiting them, like Lori Lightfoot. And it is about the power of the Democratic Party. That's all it's about. It's all it's ever about, of course. Mr. Woodson, thank you. Great to see you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Back on the other side. Just got done with a family phone call that took an hour and a half. Good talking to everybody. 
And through it, I got a couple things for going to Lori Lightfoot. Um, that was our Tucker sound. Uh, this is shit that, I mean, my mother has been blocked or censored on Facebook out there for talking about that fire chief and <clears throat> the mayor and my my brother who lives there. Both brothers talked about how jacked up it is. But this is shit that's allowed to be online. Kata Gatlin headed downtown tonight. Here's a primer on Portland's protest shield. Where are they coming from? How are they made? And who's making them? A thread. To protect the anonymity of volunteers and organizers, faces, tattoos are not included in any of the photographs in this thread. If you've seen photos of video protesters happening in downtown Portland, you probably spotted one of the ghost mob PDX and Viv underscore shields in action. Maybe you saw this video where police baton bounces right off it. Or perhaps this one where shield deflects munition. Two weeks ago, these shields were getting built by three people in a garage. Today, assembly on over 25 volunteers and two guards, uh, dogs, gathered at Clinton Park in Southeast Portland helped put them together. Using Twitter to coordinate, volunteers gathered three times a week. Locations announced the night before to build these shields. All materials, including duct tape, power tools, and pool noodles, are done Donated along with everything on this extremely packed snack and supply table. So how does a protest shield get mailed? made? One, acquire a 55-gallon barrel. In the beginning, Ghost PDX was buying these barrels with once you carried liquids like soy sauce and canola oil. Remove the barrel lid using a circular saw and volunteer slice the barrel into four sections. Using a hand drill, a different volunteer makes six holes in the center of the plastic shield. Be your OPT. Bring your own power tools. These holes will use latch bolts, padding, and straps. The shield can be carried like this. A plan that works to upgrade to drill eight holes so the shields can have backpack-style straps. This will help protesters avoid dropping their shields when they have to move fast. Four, volunteer adds aforementioned bolts. Bolt fact, since starting, Viv estimates they've used 1,200 bolts. That's a lot of bolts. Can you spot the faded NGL numbers on his volunteer arm? Step, another volunteer adds foam and straps. The straps are made from strips of sturdy ratchet-type foam materials. Step six, noodle time. A different group of volunteers slice pool noodles lengthwise and fit them along the rough edges of the shield material. This is to protect the protesters and anyone who might bump into them. Noodle fact, volunteers who do this part of a process called noodles. Here's a noodler in action. Another group of volunteers adds a layer of duct tape around the entire shield except for the foam. Each shield needs another two rolls of duct tape. Viv estimates they've used four to five hundred rolls. After volunteers attach the pool noodles Noodles, bolts, foam straps. <clears throat> Final step of shield building. Spray sp sp paint and stencil. The shield ghost spray paints the surface of each shield black. From there, individuals could add their own unique design. One volunteer brought these handmade stencils that include images of George Floyd, Brand Table, and Ahmed Arbery, but most of them are AACB, Kill Cops, and Anarchy Symbol. As a final touch, this message is spray-painted onto the interior of every shield. This sign was provided free of charge. It's not an indication of any group affiliation. And in total, each shield takes about three hours to make, and volunteers pass through multiple groups of volunteers before it's finished. All materials intended to produce these is donated, and the shields are offered free to charge to BIPOC protesters and 10 bucks for you whiteys. 
Ghost Viv and the volunteers have made about 250 shields so far and built between 30 and 55 shields per session. How does it feel to see the shields in action? Ghost, my heart is so warm. Just every time I'm so proud. There was one time, God, it was beautiful. There was a tear gas canister full and exploded off the damn thing. And person is still running away and the shield was fine. Craft project with mom. Pool noodles and pads with duct tape. And they think that's cool. That's okay. To fight police. Then you have liberal Jonathan Alter. The walls of mom in Portland is a brilliant tactic that may forever change social protest. If adopted everywhere and protesters mostly stay behind it, this good wall, like nonviolence, will reinforce that demonstrators have moral high ground in Rex Truck's argument. Sure, you use, use your mom as a human shield. If the protesters are nonviolent, they wouldn't need to hide behind their mommies. I'm surprised you haven't been ratioed for this idiocy. Are you subscribed to, like, Farm or something? Go ahead, Saddam. Then this. Video from Northern California Outdoor Religious Concert shows hundreds of people crowding together, most of them not wearing masks, drawing criticism from the local health department, and say they gather violated state coronavirus rules. And guess what it is? church that's what it is but okay they're horrible for gathering but your people can gather okay so back to Lori Lightfoot under no circumstance will allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents Weijia Zhang a reporter the president just announced he's sending hundreds of skilled law enforcement to the city of Chicago, despite the demand for federal agents to stay out by the mayor. Well, don't fuck up the federal building. What is wrong with these people? It is like unbelievable. This is the Seattle newspapers. All right. They have pulled together. Aiding Antifa, Seattle Times fights subpoena to give police riot footage showing gun theft and arson. And this is these are journalists. Michael M. Flores from the Seattle Times. We at the Seattle Times strongly oppose this move by Seattle PD and the ruling by King County Judge. As I'm quoting a saying in this story, we don't work in concert with government. It's important to our credibility and effectiveness to retain independence from those who do. But you'll work with Antifa destroying shit. Paige Cornwell, this ruling could potentially put me and my Seattle Times colleagues' safety at risk. Because they got the footage. New York Times, a terrifying court ruling here. A judge in Seattle has ordered the media outlets must turn over their images and footages from George Floyd protest on May 30th so the police can investigate crime. Well, here's the deal, boys and girls. If it was white supremacists, what do you think they'd be doing? They would have handed that shit over in 2.3 fucking seconds. They wouldn't even have thought about it. They would have turned it over. But when it's one of their team, oh, fuck that. 
And then we get to their defund stupidity. Woman shot dead after following community leaders' advice to settle dispute with rioters without police. A Brooklyn woman was killed after attempting to reason with several people illegally setting off fireworks in the neighborhood of East New York. The victim, 33-year-old Shativia Walls, was just following the advice of Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams to try to resolve nonviolent disputes through community policing, and they promptly shot her fucking ass. Shot her ass. But it's the left. The left's going to kill people. That's what they fucking do right now. And we don't even report it. Why is that not national news? I guarantee if it was a white dude killing her, national news. And then in the zeal, because everything Trump's bad, 25 celebrities who support Farrakhan, Remember, Trump's a Nazi. Ice Cube, Will Smith, Jay-Z, Stevie Wonder, Jessica Chastain, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett, Jay-Z, Chelsea Handler, Ice Cube, P. Diddy, Alan Iverson, Aretha Franklin, Barack Obama, Snoop Dogg, Nick Cannon, Nick Cannon and his Black Power Support Group, Nick Cannon again. These are all quotes. I'm not going to read them. All of them. All supporting an anti-Semite. But it's Okay. Because it's those white supremacists we got to worry about. The white supremacists. They're the bad people. Remember that. White fucking supremacists. So, to our last sound bites, and then we're going to go into a medium bump. Somebody's showing day 58. Two black guys defending the freaking federal building and talk shit by white, chai-sipping, fucking skinny jean-wearing freaks from Antifa. ABC saying there's nothing to see here. Because there's nothing to see here in fucking Portland. protests breaking out overnight in some cities across America, one of them turning deadly and in another authorities firing off tear gas. ABC's Janae Norman has more. Overnight chaos in the streets as multiple shots ring out in Austin, Texas. One man shot and killed during a Black Lives Matter protest, an apparently peaceful march turning deadly and the violence spreading to other cities. In Seattle, protesters setting fire to a youth detention center. 
Watch as firefighters rushed to tackle the flames yesterday afternoon as they raged throughout the construction site. Officers later declaring the protest a riot as around 2,000 people gathered in the downtown area. Law enforcement deploying tear gas. All of it happening just hours after a federal judge temporarily blocked a new law banning cops from using pepper spray and other crowd control tools. And in Portland, nearly 60 days of protests. Police once again clashing with large crowds who are demanding racial equality. And in Colorado, a protest for Elijah McClain turning violent in Aurora. Police saying a car drove into a group of protesters, one of the marchers firing off a shot. McClain, an unarmed black man, died while being subdued by police last summer. To say that we are closer to victory today is to believe in the face of the evidence, the optimists who have been wrong in the past. Do Democrats overestimate the fear uh, by not leaning more into gun control measures? But just as important as what we are going to do this hour is what we're not going to do. We're not going to debate climate change, the existence of it. The earth is getting hotter and human activity is a major cause, period. We're not going to give time to climate deniers. The science is settled, even if political opinions That. Whereas everyone knows that Democrats actually care about stuff, right? Bigots on the ballot are the shameful dark side of our politics right now, and they are running as Republicans. They've seen his face before. Nobody was really sure he was on the house of Uh, so let me say, the person, woman, man, camera, TV. Can you remember that? Person, woman, man, camera, TV? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> That's what we're trying to figure out because the president talked about his acuity test tonight and he said he could remember person, woman, man, camera, TV. And no one had ever done that before because later they came back to him and he was able to uh, answer it again. And so he aced it. But there's some question about when this test was given and who gave it to him. What so, is it? It's a, it's a, you know, he said it was part of this, you know, the, the cognitive test when you do the... No. Camera. Well, when do you take that? That looks like something for middle school. Well, you take that when usually, listen, I'm not a doctor and I'm going to let Dr. Reiner explain it in a little bit. Yeah. But usually when there is some issue or some concern about, um, you know, your cognitive abilities. So. Oh, yeah. You're like burying the lead here. What were the animal shapes? Uh, well, it's a lion, a hippo, and a camel. Isn't that a rhino in the middle? A rhino. You don't even hippo. know a hippo a rhino, from a rhino. Sorry, you got no acuity, son. You got no I'm looking acuity. at it backwards. I'm looking at it backwards. <laughs> you don't know a rhino That's a rhino, from an sorry, yes. I'm looking at it backwards. So, i got to take you to the zoo. Yeah, there you go. Memory, <laughs> face, velvet, church, daisy, red. What does it mean if you don't know an elephant from a rhino? An elephant. What'd, What'd you say? say a hippo? You thought the hip rhino no, was a hippo? I told you I was looking at it backwards. So what does that here. mean? This is how I'm looking at it. You can't really see that.
That's the cognitive test bullshit, and those two wahoos couldn't do it. Our next soundbite is my buddy Tucker Carlson. I've been watching a lot lately, as you know. And if you didn't notice, I got all my information back. Yeah, 20 bucks came with a power supply. So if you ever got to do that, you lose a computer. You can buy it on Amazon. It was $20. It's a, a, disk drive, a SATA 3 adapter with power if you have a desktop. And it sucked all that shit off. It was freaking awesome. Or moved it off. Matt Norgan's going to get me again for saying that. Um, but our Tucker is literally Sandman. Yeah, Nick Sandman got his uh, million-dollar lawsuit. They settled with WAPO. Nobody knows how much. And then we're going to play uh, media election fear-mongering back-to-back. Well, another amazing and heartening news, the Washington Post is settling a quarter-billion-dollar lawsuit brought by a teenager they slandered and attacked. An amazing story, one of the few wins for decency recently, and, of course, We'll bring it to you in all its detail after the break. Well, every day, a small group of highly privileged people seem to get more powerful and increase the crackdown on the country. But occasionally, there are reversals of fortune that we want to call attention to. Today was a day like that. The Washington Post has settled a quarter-billion-dollar defamation suit brought by Nicholas Sandman. He's the high school kid from Covington Catholic in Kentucky. He was vilified by the media, you'll remember. They selectively edited a video of him. They made it sound like he was harassing an American Indian man. In fact, the full video showed the exact opposite of that. We reached out to the Washington Post today, its media reporter, Eric Wempel, and we asked him to come on and explain the Washington Post's role in this. He was, of course, too cowardly to do that. Loathsome. But it wasn't just the Washington Post, by the way, that attacked these kids for the crime of, we're not sure what the crime was. Here was Don Lamont over on CNN describing the encounter. The MAGA hat carries a certain connotation that provokes a conditioned reaction from many people, especially from marginalized people. Got that? So international TV star Don Lamont wants you to know that if someone disagrees with his politics, you're allowed to harass them. Maybe even beat them up. Who knows? Salmon sued for that, too, and CNN settled a $275 million case earlier this year. But it would be a mistake to say it was just the Washington Post and just CNN. It was NBC, too. Do you feel from this experience that you owe anybody an apology? Do you see your own fault? We looked at that video and thought about how it felt from the, the other's perspective. In other words, there were a lot of you, a handful of the others. There's something aggressive about standing there. Every single day, these people bully Americans, yell at them, berate them, attack them, force them from their jobs. The country's cowering in silence thanks to people like this, but occasionally somebody fights back, and even more occasionally someone fights back and wins. And that's what Nicholas Salmon did today. Demanding that Congress allocate more money to keep voters safe and foreign actors out to make sure your vote counts. All this as President Trump, we should note, refuses to say simply whether he will or will not accept the results of the election. So four years ago, Russia interfered brazenly in the U.S. election in a number of ways. 
Now we're three months away from another election. Are you concerned that not just Russia, but other countries will attempt to duplicate what they did in 2016 and 2020? I'm going to quote from that letter, because speaking of foreign actors, you say these actors influence Americans or attempt to influence Americans by exploiting fear and confusion around the voting process. It is a sad fact that some of that same fear and confusion is being promoted by the sitting president of the United States. I want to quote a tweet he sent just this morning, and this is a note he has sounded before about mail-in ballots, saying that mail-in voting, unless changed by the courts, will lead to the most corrupt election in our nation's history. Now, I I should state this, and we have to fact-check the president all the time. There is no evidence uh, that that soldiers have been doing mail-in voting for, for decades. Are you concerned that the interference in this election is coming just as much from inside the country as from outside the country? I want to ask you about the Supreme Court. Um, We're very happy, obviously, that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg appears to be on the mend out of the hospital. But it does does raise the question as to what would happen if, through retirement or something else, there was a vacancy on the court. And Republicans have begun to talk about what they would do. And they say that they would absolutely allow uh, a nomination and a confirmation even right now during this election, as well as after the election, after November, regardless of who wins, they would up until January of a new administration still go through that whole process. Well, I'll say two things. Let's hope that doesn't come to pass. Let's hope, let's all hope and pray for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's continued health. But second, one thing is certain. Leader McConnell twists the rules. Sometimes he's for the rules. Sometimes he wants to change the rules for whatever he thinks benefits him at the moment. That does not serve our democracy. That does not serve separations of powers. That does not serve what this country needs. Um, Here's what Senator John Thune says about it. Yeah, in terms of will they would fill the vacancy, he says, well, we will. That would be part of this year. We would move on it. Let's- I want to ask you about Russian interference, not in 2016, in 2020, because yeah. there's a development this morning, yes. as you know. So yeah. top congressional Democrats have sent a cryptic letter. I assume you were on this letter on Monday that a foreign power is attempting to interfere again. Um, obviously, this has been a fear of lots of intelligence experts. It, part of it is classified, so we don't know all of the details. Right. However, apparently it is intelligence related to a possible Russian-backed attempt to smear the presidential campaign of former Vice President Joe Biden. Here's what the New York Times' David Sanger has found, along with his colleagues. Democrats contend that the Russian-linked information is being funneled to a committee headed by Senator Ron Johnson, the Wisconsin Republican who is investigating Mr. Biden and his son, who was once paid as a board member of a Ukrainian energy company. Senator, what can you tell us this morning? Well, not much because it is classified. But look, we all know that any foreign power, when they interfere in our elections, as we all know Russia did in 2016, despite the fact that the president denies it, he denies, seems to deny almost everything that's fact and reality these days. Um, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's at the wellspring of our democracy, our elections. The founding fathers in the Constitution worried about foreign interference in elections and their prescience uh, is proving true today because it's, ha- it's, it's, it's happening. We've demanded that 
uh, the FBI director, Mr. Ray, brief every member of the House and Senate as to what's happening so we can know what's happening, it'll be classified, and then do things about it. Um, let's hope he says yes. What would you do? Well, we have to know what we have to know the details before we can tell you what we do, what we would do. But we should be doing everything to prevent foreign interference in our elections. We're about 100 days away from the election. How worried are you on a scale of one to 10 about interference in the election? I'm very Everything that's been said here, I think, is about this particular issue is right, but not doesn't go far enough. Uh, you know, we are talking, this is not just performative authoritarianism, this is authoritarianism. This is a, these are paramilitary yeah. units. These are the kinds of things that we have seen in tyrannical authoritarian regimes in third world countries throughout the 20th, the uh, second half of the 20th century. This is not a, this is not a mystery what's going on here. And I think that to, to, to look at this through the prism of symbolic politics, the law and order campaign, Trump uh, trying to rerun the Nixon playbook is true, but doesn't, as I say, go far enough. We are looking, I think, here, and this is a dark, and I, I don't want to be overly alarmist about this, but I think this is the time to be alarmist, knowing where Donald Trump stands right now politically, understanding where we are headed in this election. I think we are looking at a potentially a trial run for a kind of gen a genuine attempt to, 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 through intimidation, and potentially through force to try to uh, to try to steal this election, and I, I think we are now at the point where you know we see the things that the president is doing. We see his intention to not accept an outcome of this election where he loses to Joe Biden. We have making it very clear, and some of it is 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 rhetoric about mail-in voting. But when the next thing in the next breath is that he's talking about sending. Un these unmarked paramilitary guards to places with Democratic and Demo blue states with very blue cities run by Democratic mayors. I think we should all take very seriously the prospect that this is, as I say, a dress rehearsal, a trial run for first an attempt at voter intimidation on election day. Are these are these unmarked paramilitary units going to be uh, doing? security at the polls in, in battleground states? I think that's a question we'd like to have answered. Uh, that is a, a, a potentially an effort of voter intimidation. And then what happens in the overtime period? Anybody who's serious about this election recognizes, listening to the president, that there's a very high likelihood that he is not going to concede if he loses on election night. In those two and a half months after election day until January 20th, if Donald Trump has lost this election, the, the, the things that we're seeing right now, these incredibly alarming, incredibly disturbing images, uh, unmarked paramilitary units that have no clear chain of command, no clear identification, taking protesters and putting them in unmarked vehicles, driving them away to God knows where. We should all be kind of freaking out about this right now and what it could portend for this fall and beyond. I think you uh, put it pretty perfectly, John Heilman. Uh, Yamiche also. Let's bring in NBC News correspondent Heidi Prisbilla. Her latest report is on Joe Biden blasting Republican Senator Ron Johnson's probe into his ties to a Ukrainian gas company, saying the senator is promoting a hardcore right-wing conspiracy theory. Here we go again. How fascinating, uh, the Mika, the background Please. of this. Here we have in 2016, uh, as... As the Date said mm -hmm. a couple of days ago, uh, that that Donald Trump used uh, information hacked from Russia 
every single day of the last month of the campaign. He's never denied doing it. His campaign never denied him doing it. His administration never denied that he was doing it. And here we are, Casey Hunt, four years later, and you have the chairman of a Senate committee now reportedly using uh, information uh, that Russian operatives have passed along to him in his committee. So now we have still the Republican Party in 2020 still reportedly following the wishes of Vladimir Putin and Russia. I, I got to say, I was talking, Mika, about how we forget all of the things. I think, right. I think one of the most remarkable things <clears throat> that I have seen by the Trump media has been the expression picked up by respected newspapers, quote, the Russia hoax. Oh, my God. What history will do, yeah. what history will say about those who follow Donald Trump's propaganda and, quote, only one thing he has in mind. How does he win re-election? And it doesn't matter how many people get COVID and or die from COVID. Joe Biden with our own Joy Reid tonight as she debuted her new broadcast, talking about the president's priorities, even as our nation grapples with a confluence of crises. And yet, in his latest New York Times column, our friend Nicholas Kristof writes this, quote, Perhaps today's national pain, fear, and loss can also be a source of hope. We may be so desperate, our failures so manifest, our grief so raw, that the U.S. can once more, as during the Great Depression, embrace long-needed changes that would have been impossible in cheerier times. Back with us again tonight, Nicholas Kristof, author, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist for the New York Times. Nick, thanks so much for coming on, and thank you for writing this and at least trying to get out there and make good news allowable. I'm going to sit back and have you talk about what good and how any good can come of this. Sure. Well, I mean, it's obviously incongruous to talk about hope when we see 140,000 people dead from the coronavirus. We see this level of, uh, of racial inequity. We see the economy in this situation. Um, only one out of six Americans says he or she is, is proud of the country. But in many ways, it is precisely because things are so manifestly uh, off the rails that that does, I think, create an opportunity to help fix some of the problems that we've addressed. And I think that, you know, if, if the Great Depression had been merely a recession, then FDR might not have been elected. He might not have uh, carried the Senate. He might not have flipped the Senate in 1932. We might not have had a great deal. And in this case, I think because President Trump has so discredited the whole GOP has so discredited the conservative approach to so many of these policy issues that we may finally have a chance to move a little more on the track of Canada, of Europe, and and get things like a national health care plan, like uh, paid sick leave, uh, like a, a program to address uh, child poverty, and so on. Um, it wasn't that long ago you wrote that this president should wear a mask to show patriotism. So we thought of you today when he tweeted the picture of him in a mask taken at Walter Reed.
He's setting precedence now, and I think Mika was exactly right this morning when she raised the proper concerns. And, and the Wyden quote, to me, crystallizes it. This is what would happen if you were a, an authoritarian president who was preparing to, to, to resist a loss in the election. You would be saying the things Donald Trump is saying, and you would be gradually rolling out federal police power into the states against the, the, the wishes of the mayors and governors in question. This is how it would happen. This is how the movie would play out. And anybody who's not looking at this with a state of alarm and concern and worried about, is this president going to, to, to employ formally martial law at some point, as Ron Wyden suggested yesterday, is that on the president's mind? Is there anybody, having watched Donald Trump for the last three and a half years, who doesn't think that Donald Trump would try to employ martial law if he thought it was the only way he could stay in power. I ask you, Joe, is there anybody mm -hmm. who's sensible who comes on this show who doesn't think that that's possible? Yeah, I, th I, I think really even Donald Trump's allies understand that he will do whatever it takes to stay in power. I know that was long, but I had to play it because it's what they do every election. Do you hear that shit? It's just fucking insane to say your objective and all of that if you don't vote Biden. So Seltzer and company, they went the next level. Brian Seltzer quoted the Washington Post, Paul Weldman. If you're a Republican, there's an entire cable network devoted to filling your evening with terror. Seltzer is a book about Fox News coming out soon, tweeted that he wished there was an overstatement, but it's not. Plenty disagree that there was only one cable news network peddling terror, but Twitchy's favorite, Neon Taser, citing a CNN piece about the political strategist becoming increasingly alarmed about the post-election crisis, called for Drew Holden to get on the case. Drew Holden, I think... A thread's in order. And here it goes. You, <clears throat> Brian Seltzer, if you'd like to know a thing or two about news media, fear-mongering, may I introduce you to CNN? Just in the last 24 hours? To start, we have more dire warnings about polar bears. But that isn't all of our 24-hour fear. As the planet continues to warm rapidly, a new study brings another dire warning. If humans fail to reduce greenhouse gas emission, most population of polar bears could struggle to survive past 2100. Next one. You may have heard that we were in the midst of a global pandemic. Despite death rates decreasing compared to when it ransacked the Northeast, CNN is conveniently focused on the stories of those who died since reopening. 91,000 people. Oh, shit, I got to zoom it up. Sorry, I can't read the fucking thing. I made the font too small. Let me back up. Here we go. There we go. Now I can read the shit. <clears throat> um, 11,000 people have died since reopening. Surely the choice to do that isn't connected to the desire to shut down the entire country, right? Because CNN sure seems to have thought about that. And a whole article about that. Then you get into the next ones. And don't forget how scary things are for our latest protected class teachers. A story on teachers. I mean, really, Brian Sester, a lot. There's three more stories. CNN ripped a pencil to talk about experiments with children and life and death. Uh, CNN bringing Andrew Cuomo on to talk about government incompetence. Strongest storm on the planet seemed a bit unnecessary for a storm whose strength is supposed to diminish the risk. That was about the tropical storm. And don't fear, Brian, there's more fear-mongering yet. 
This one talks about a pandemic of hate against Asians. A guy who wrote a a zombie book with sobering message to scientists, but I guess it gets hard to fill time slots 24 hours. And last but not least, Orange Man Bad and Inward American Invading America Cities to hear CNN tell it. And it's about the federal stuff. So what's he talking about? Nothing but fucking fear. Nothing but fear. Drew Holden ends it with a pot calling the kettle black. All they do, most of my sound bites are fear, 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 fear of Trump, Christians, conservatives. And yet you promote people like the following. Pelosi. What the fuck is she saying? When our country was founded and Thomas Jefferson, when he became president, he tasked the Secretary of the Treasury to Gallatin uh, to uh, build the infrastructure of America for an infrastructure plan that would follow the Lewis and Clark uh, uh, expedition. It was Erie Canal, Cumberland Road, all kinds of things uh, built into the Louisiana Purchase that would follow. It was a great undertaking. Gallatin was the Secretary of Treasury, and so many things happened at that time to build the infrastructure into the, uh, the manifest destiny of America as we moved west. And then you ignore this, and this will take us to our music break and into the woke bumper. Guy's named Tramel. Shot on the street. He's a Trump supporter. Nobody covered this. Nobody. You didn't hear anything the fuck about it. The song will be The Muse Newborn, which I really like. And then we will get into our woke section. And the woke bumper today is Never Trump versus Trump supporters. I said it right this time because last time I had races versus non-racist and i screwed the whole bumper up so enjoy the river west neighborhood this afternoon as fox 6's bill miston joins us live to explain that daytime shooting leaves many who knew this man wondering why hey there's steph ted that shooting happening in broad daylight at around 12 30 today now police have not identified the man yet but multiple friends say the man that was shot was bernal tremont known for being a kind conversationalist with a variety of viewpoints. A growing memorial for a man friends say was kind, loving, and not afraid to speak his mind. That guy was just full of love. It was very deep conversations. He's just a, a community figure. It's on today. Adebisi Agoro says he stopped by Bernal Trammell's place at around 10.30 Thursday morning to talk politics and beliefs, videotaping part of their conversation. I'm firm. Wisconsin, Afro-Americans, community. If you don't recognize Trammell's name, you might recognize his signs maybe on a street corner, varying from the political to social justice and religion. I respected him just because he had a position. He got his, he got his opinion on why he feel that way. I'm not going to knock him. Then Aguero says he left. We walked outside on the porch and we seen all these cars, so we were kind of like, let's go over there and kind of see what's going on. It was at around 12.30, police say they got a call for a shooting. Roommates Andrew Olmsted and Taylor Pulley heading out to shoot some hoops. We saw the cops pull up, uh, the vans, ambulance, firefighters. And uh, we sat and watched. They gave CPR for about 15 to 20 minutes. Police haven't identified the man, but those who live in the neighborhood and know him well say it was Tramel who was shot and killed. Friends and acquaintances at a loss for who would kill him. 
worrying it might have to do with his various stances. He would always say to me, jaw is light. That's why it's shining. The sun is still shining because jaw is light. Jeanette Iowan says she would pop in the storefront of his three-story building where he had a publishing company talking religion from Christianity to Rastafari. It was very deep conversations, very philosophical, and he was a really great guy. He mean no warm. Now, police say there's not a lot of information about what led up to the shooting or who may be responsible. You're asked if you have any information or you might know who might be responsible. You're asked to call the Milwaukee Police Department. And if you want to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers. Reporting in River West, Bill Miston, Fox 6 News. Rural Americans from all walks of life and culture here in Wisconsin, particularly here in Milwaukee, to vote Donald Trump. For this uh, year, Trump 2020, uh, I believe Trump is the sign of the times in which Afro-Americans, according to Yahweh, shout to the world, wickedly or ignorantly calls Jesus Christ, told us that we discern the skies as far as weather and we're correct. But we're not as correct when it comes to signs of the times. Now, the reason why I say Trump is the sign of the times is because Trump did something Nobody has done, no president, black or white, has done from the White House. He took an Afro-American woman, a descendant of the slave, and took her all the way to the White House and gave her a position showing the whole world that the Afro-American woman, the descendant of the slave, has the intelligence to run his cabinet. And that was Amarosa in Trump's cabinet. Number two, what Trump did, again, why I believe he should be president, sign of the time, is he sat down with an Afro-American uh, that no president has ever done. It's uh, the United States of America, if any of y'all can remember the Dred Scott case. The Supreme Court told him he is to work and die. Trump sat down with Kanye West and had a real conversation, and everything can be checked online. So that's my reason for bringing uh, the conscious, hopefully bringing the consciousness to Afro-Americans from all walks of life and culture, to vote Trump. And I have been sent to collect the testimonies from Afro-Americans from all walks of life and culture since 1984. 1994 is when the first publication came forward. But these two scriptures I want you to focus in on. Matthew 16, 3. At Matthew's chapter 12, verse 38, for the sign of the only sign we're given now is the sign of Jonah. Thank you.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Turn it up, turn it on. Rock it like we bear to the bone, get on the floor. Running loose, gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the part of scene, as you think you can dance with me, this ain't no joke. Turn up, let's get a walk. Hi, I'm John. And I'm his roommate, Ron. Together, we are Defined by by Trump. Trump Trump just tweeted out our new opinion on corona numbers. I was just wondering what we thought of that. I realized early on that instead of taking the time to formulate opinions and a perspective, it was much easier to find out what Donald Trump says and angrily disagree. Or in my case, enthusiastically agree. Once I know he's right, I don't have to think anymore. Just Google Street View to see if the wall is there yet. Still no, we'll get it by his fourth term though. Hi, MS-13, just wondering if one of your generals are available to babysit my nephews? Trump's opinions are always changing, so ours are too. You know, like I used to be sort of an anti-war guy, but when Trump started a relationship with Russia, I wanted to bomb the Kremlin. I always thought I wanted to shrink the government. Turns out I want to expand it. Plus, I'm all for corporate bailouts now. I think he's the most racist president. I think he's the least racist president. I also think he's 6'3". I think he's 3'6". I think his hands and dong are huge. And I pretend to care about refugees, and Ron pretends to care about veterans. Oh, so what, you think America should just have borders and turn down five and a half billion immigrants? What are you, some Trump guy? Yeah. We should really get a second bed. There are some challenges living together. We compromise on what to watch on TV. I like watching pony compilations with cool guys like Ben Shapiro. He lost his virginity at 28. And I like the shows where every comedian says Trump's bad. My favorite joke is the one where they say he's bad. Can we watch some of Dave Rubin's stand-up next? Uh, We keep Trump's opinions in a spreadsheet so I can spend less time figuring out what to hate and more time hating it. Or loving it. I do hope that Trump likes the NFL again soon so I can stop my personal boycott before the season starts again. I just bought two Kaepernick jerseys, never watched a game in my life. Trump likes the Bible now, so I'm going to be converting to Islam. I was pretty hard on Jews in the gaming forums, and now I'm basically a Zionist, which my mom appreciates because we are Jewish. Looks like I think it's basically over, and you think it's worse than ever. Before Trump, I did used to have an identity, but now mainly I don't like Trump. It's the perfect substitute for having to actually analyze an issue. I can't even believe I used to waste all that energy critically thinking. The guy's orange. But our beginning of our woke has changed now, of course, because I'm kind of dealing with the mass shit as wokeness. And here's Governor Whitmer proving my point. At the end of the day, it's on all of us to do our part to educate the people around us, whether it's in the store, or it's in our household, or it is in our neighborhood, or in our workplace. We've got to implore one another to step up and to do the right thing. And Michiganders are are smart, we're tough, we can figure out how to do it politely, but also forcefully. 
Governor, I have your time and I want to use your experience. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the country has watched New York go up the hill first, and I believe our viewers could, uh, can see now, like we can put on the screen, uh, New York's path up the hill and down the hill with the coronavirus. I'm sure you can't see the graphic, Governor, but I also know that it's seared in your memory uh, of going up this hill and coming down this hill. Uh, the coming down part is fascinating to me. It's a bad word, uh, but because even as you started to come down, you had more cases on the downward side. You had more deaths on the downward side. Uh, you're watching right now, Florida, 12,000 cases plus today uh, they've been around 10,000 to 12,000 Texas Arizona California uh, as you watch this play out now in other states nationally the positivity rate is 8% in Arizona it's above 20 in Florida it's been around 19 you're below 1% in the state of New York now what is your advice to these governors most of the Republicans but Gavin Newsom about California Democrat as they go through what you have lived yeah uh, first, uh, John, when they write the history book on this one, it's going to be ugly. You want to talk about a national tragedy. None of this had to be. Why is it so right on the left to say, get forceful? Beat people up you disagree with. They've been doing it since Trump. And I, I'm here to tell you, we do it when uh, Biden's president. Yeah, let's see how far that goes. Then we had, okay, I'm not doing Falky who got caught, but there's Cuomo. There should be a national mask mandate. Mr. Wearing Your Mask in Georgia, at a party, two feet inches from somebody's face, no mask. Blue checks, angry at Nashville party hot tub on wheels. Not really sure what loophole this falls into, but maybe someone from transportation industry or mayor's office would like to explain why this is Nashville street with unmasked people as the pandemic spikes. Carl Zimmer, contact tracer, start your engines. And Helen Peterson. I knew the cycle taverns were somehow still operating in Nashville. I did not know the unmasked cycle hot tub taverns were still operating. Anim Vinyan, a literal cesspool. Don Davey, Canadian, an example of straining why we need to keep our borders closed. Oh, really, Davey? Don Davies. Coronavirus, use glory hole for safe sex, says Canadian CDC. Glory holes could be the key to having safe sex during the coronavirus pandemic, at least according to Canada's top health expert. <laughs> this is a no shit. Um, the sexual suggestion comes from British Columbia Center for Disease Control, and while I'm not quite the same as recommendation from our beloved Dr. Anthony Fauci, it still holds water. Before and after sex, wash your body with soap and water, wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, watch sex toys thoroughly with soap and water before and after use, do not share them with multiple partners. Wear a mask. Covering our mask, heavy breathing during sex can create more droplets that can tra transmit COVID-19. Avoid or limit kissing. Choose sexual positions with limited face-to-face. -face. Use barriers, glory holes, that allow for sexual content, but prevent close face-to-face contact. <laughs> That's a fucking thing. So go suck a strange dick. You won't get coronavirus. That's what they're saying. Fuck me. And then finally, alas, cities finally confirmed that we already knew regarding COVID spike. And experts say the protests had nothing to do with the spike of COVID case. I mean, CNN reported on this. So you know, there was a 70% chance of it being totally wrong. Folks, the same medical experts who peddled this interference were the same clowns who said it was okay to go outside and protest to George Floyd and such. But now they're seeing every major fucking city with a spike it was COVID. Yeah. And then there was one more. 
DC. New mask order. Unless you're a federal worker, you don't need to wear a mask. Yeah, you're exempt because you're special. I want to squeeze in a couple military stories. Meet the Smuzzle, the Army new hybrid suppressor that reduces sound, recoil, and flash. Army scientists have developed a combination of suppressor and muzzle brake that keeps machine guns on target and quieter on the battlefield. This thing's pretty badass. They've been testing it with the 249 and the 240, and it's actually been working. It really reduces quite a bit of sound and flash, which, you know, if any of you, whether you're military or not, you've watched any movie, the first thing you take out in war is the fucking machine gun. If you can kill the machine gun and you know where the machine gun is, well, you can tack that first so that it doesn't fuck up all your people. And that's why, you know, most of us, you don't shoot off the freaking machine gun until you actually have to. Um, sure, if you can hold them off at 800 meters with a machine gun, you do that. But you don't just start opening up because the moment they know where that's at, well, of course, they send rockets and other fucking shit and fuck up your machine gun. And that is the biggest weapon you have for, uh, you know, infantry squad. So it's important. Then a sad story, and I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to talk about it. Army considers shuttering its Pathfinder school at Fort Benning. They run an external school, but they're talking about shuttering it all together to save money. That's fucking crazy. They're talking about doing, like at the Solinsky Air Assault School, uh, you know, rigors course to teach you how to sling load. But that is one of the hardest schools. You know, drill sergeant school was a no-shinner. You really had to learn a lot of shit. But Pathfinder, that was one of the hardest mental schools I ever went to. And I still remember a lot of shit. And it's a very important skill for setting up landing zones, drop zones. I mean, you can carp stuff, which is computer air release. That does with computers. But you got to have a guy on the ground. And so I'm going to stay on top of that. That's my favorite badge. Um, it's the only one I have, like I wear every once in a while on a hat because the torch was the shit. I was proud of that. Two crazy shit before we get into wokeness. Haven't we suffered enough? I guess not. Variety TV, Hillary Clinton, alternative history series, Rodham in the development. Another story, the announcement of Hulu's latest streaming series is sure to sign the Democrats still haven't gotten past the 2016 election. A new production will show more love for this twice-failed candidate for president. After putting millions of dollars in a four-part docuseries called Hillary that nobody watched, they decided to try a new method for coming to terms with a former senator who lost. Variety reported that Hulu is option an alternative history on the life of Hillary Clinton from a streaming platform. The series is based on the 2020 New York Times selling novel called Rodham. The presence of the book, premise of the book is that Hillary decides not to marry Bill Clinton, and thus we get to see how her political ambitions face without the baggage of being attacked to one of the biggest frat boys in American history. Vox glowingly described the fantasy, saying mostly the Rodham is interested in its examining the feminine ambition and what it would look like untethered from a man. 
Vox Review adds, in fact, freed from the Clinton bag and Chili Rodham enters into politics scandal-free. She does not have a stand by her husband in the face of accusations of infidelity. Hillary is so scandal-free in its alternate history that the only real fault she has in the public eye is that she's boring. And you know, just like Madam Secretary, they're going to make her win. From our last podcast on gayness, I could never find JLGBT. So I don't know why that lady was saying it. But I did find a New York Times article because you know they're on the case for this. They won't talk about Mr. Tremel getting killed. I mean, why the fuck would we talk about that? That's a, a conservative man who's black. and that You're not supposed to be black and be conservative. And what the fuck, Chuck? Yeah, that kind of shit. Well, they come up with a huge-ass story on what BIPOC means and it sounds a little something like this which stands for black indigenous and people of color suddenly everywhere black Americans have been called by many names in the United States African American Negro colored and the unuttered slur with bigger the one that runs bigger in recent weeks, as protests against police brutality and racism have flooded the streets of social media, another more inclusive term has been ascribed to the population, BIPOC. The acronym stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Though it is now ubiquitous in some corners of Twitter and Instagram, the earliest reference is from 2013 as a phrase, People of Color dates back centuries, blah, 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 and it's just a, another example of, hey, we're different, and... America used to live on the premise of, hey, we're not different. Um, We're all the same, but I guess not. That's not what we're going for. We're going for we're all different, and you white people are bad, but we're special. You know, that's a funny thing from the family conversation. We all kind of agreed when we were kids, they would bring blacks from the city to white schools and whites to there. And it wasn't because we were segregated. I was living in Oregon, for Christ's sake. It was just because that's where people lived. And it was always, look how alike you are. And now we're doing the opposite in our wokeness that we're, we're not alike. We're all different. Everybody's different. So, to the gay shit. Well, let's play the bumper. I haven't played the bumper in a while. Gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump and cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. Liberal media hope LGBTQ Hallmark movies shift standards of Christmas. Oh, isn't that nice? It's Christmas in July for LGBTQ advocates with the news that Hallmark Channel will feature queer themes in its holiday specials. Hallmark is family-friendly channel no longer. As a recent statement indicates, they've officially bowed to the gay mafia. On July 15th, NBC News reported after concern that none of the 40 films Hallmark announced as part of the 2021 lineup included any gayness. A representative for the company, some of the movies in its Countdown to Christmas and Miracles of Christmas program will include gay storylines. Diversity and inclusion is a top priority for us, and we look forward to making some exciting program announcements in the coming months, including announcements from projects featuring gay storylines, characters, and actors, wrote George Zeller, blah, 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 in an emailed statement. We're committed to creating Hallmark experience where everyone feels 
welcome. The announcement was met with cheers from BuzzFeed and Newsweek. Uh, seems to imply there are giant changes coming, one that could shift not only the standards of Christmas season, but could make viewers feel accepted and understood no matter who they are. On July 21st, TV Guys celebrated, All we want for Christmas is some LGBTQ representative. I am sure your parents are proud. IndieWire gave its seal of approval to Hallmark 2. Giving stories to queer characters would be a huge step in the right direction for the company, particularly as its brand comfort and warmth remain so vital due to current events. LGBTQ activists had focused or groused for years about a channel they don't even watch. Yeah, not read anymore. Study 6 in 10 queer men with COVID hide it. Kind of like AIDS. What does that say about your demographic? Not very good. Then Queens to the Rescue. This was a big thing. I saw it all over. Pink news, everything. On a new reality show, the drag queens went down to the farm to fight for animal rights. Anya Mann, Erica Chanel, Vegas Van Dank, Crystal Brooks, and Tallulah Van Dank were among the stars of Queens of the Queen City. who traveled to Easley, South Carolina for a furry photo shoot. The photographs by Casey Carzarelli helped promote their Queens to the Rescue charity event, which supported Izzy Pond, a wildlife rescue, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> they then do an interview with all these dudes that pretend they're women. Tell us about an animal that changed your life. Why should gay people fight for animal rights? Erica Chanel, same thing. Over and over, pictures of dudes in a dress, pretending to be chicks. And this is good shit, because it's an animal charity. Okay. We're now going to go into everything is racist, and this is some racist-ass shit from the New York Times, their new podcast. Nice white people. And that's the reason that our public schools are fucked up, is their implication. Everything is racist. Nice White Parents is made by Serial Productions and brought to you by the New York Times. I want to take you back to a time when a group of idealistic people, feeling hopeful about the future, about America, threw themselves into the fight for racial integration. It was 1963, and New York City was planning to build a new school right next to a housing project, where the students would be almost entirely Black and Puerto Rican. But these white parents came in and said, no, 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 don't build it there. Put it closer to the white neighborhood. That way all our kids can go to school together. They were dogged, these white parents, lobbying the city at meetings, writing letters, saying don't build it there. It will inevitably be a segregated school. And we want our kids to mix with black and Puerto Rican kids from the projects. It's a decade after Brown v. Board of Education, they said. Schools should be integrated. There's an archive filled with letters where the parents wrote things like, we don't want our white children to be part of some, quote, small, white, middle-income clique. The Board of Education agreed, changed the entire plan, and located the building where the white parents wanted it. A few years later, the school finally opened. And then, none of them sent their kids there. I went through this box of letters, called as many parents as I could, 
Not a single person actually sent their kid to the school. Not one. What happened? I remember thinking very clearly that, okay, I believe in this, but I don't sort of want to sacrifice my children to it. No, as I said, I'm a Quaker, and so my kids went to the Quaker school. But you were a Quaker when you wrote this letter, asking for an yeah, integrated because I, I believed in it, but... Um, and I think that we say a lot of things that are politically correct without even realizing that we are not telling exactly how we feel. For years, I've been looking for an answer to the question, why don't public schools work better? What is getting in the way of giving each child an equal opportunity, an equal education? But now, I think I've been looking in the wrong places for what's broken in our schools. I think you can't understand what's broken if you don't look here at one of the most powerful forces shaping public education, white parents. From Serial Productions, it's Nice White Parents, a new show about the 60-year relationship between white parents and the public school down the block. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. Nice White Parents is coming July 30th, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's it. White people. Well, white people are the reason why you can't get a good burger at Burger King. Their tweet, to understand what's wrong with our public education system, you have to look at what's arguably the most powerful force in our schools. White parents. Listen to the trailer for nice white parents. Replies to this. What do they call people who single out one race is what's wrong with any given thing in place? Because that would be you. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we say? That's racist? Don't we call that racism? I mean, I thought that's what we call racism. I mean, seriously. What the actual fuck is wrong with these people? Tanya, is this what anti-racism is supposed to look like? Because it looks a lot like racism. Michael Knowles, great point. White people are terrible and all other people are better, and that's because their skin is a different color. New York Times knows what they're doing. Selling racism. Brand, brand, Brad banned the tanks. What the fuck is wrong with the New York Times these days? Crazy people truly have taken over the reins. And it's true. Because they support all this shit. The Root Institute. Remember, the Root's run by NBC. Is coming this August with Stacey Abrams, Ava Devari, Lee Daniels, Tarana Burke, and Anya Presley will be there. What did Congresswoman Presley tweet this week? Cancel rent, cancel mortgage, cancel student debt. Everybody live for free. But that's what they're selling. They're so over everything else. They've run out of things. This is an actual soundbite. Why dangerous for deaf people? I don't want to wear a sign on my back saying that I'm deaf or we're deaf. We don't want that. Black and deaf, their stories are overlooked. Hi, my name is Jade Bryant. And this is a word about how the black and deaf community are often ignored. 
I'm a writer, a creator, a producer for over 25 years in spreading awareness about people who are deaf. Well, they haven't shown our language, how we express ourselves, how we live, and for me, that makes me feel like I'm erased, I'm ignored, not seen. We go through the same thing. So where are those stories on the screen? Murder, death, imprisonment. I mean, there's so many stories. So imagine if a person got arrested for the wrong reasons, right? And this person is, uh, um, you know, asking for an interpreter and, and trying to communicate with their hands, but the police would understand that as trying to be harmful and would use whatever methods, like a taser, to the uh, deaf individual. But the person is just trying to communicate, hey, I'm just deaf, and that is something that happens a lot. When you arrest them, they take their hands and they take their mode of communication away from them. They put their hands behind them and that increases even more of an anxiety or an aggression. You're taking away my right to speak and I'm asking a right for an interpreter and again, those requests are being ignored. And that's what we face every day. We face things in the subway, on the bus, on the street, with crowds of people and I don't want to wear a sign on my back saying that I'm deaf or we're deaf. We don't want that. People just have to learn how to treat people better and become more conscious. Well, let me use uh, my family as an example. Now, I love my family. Whenever I visit my family at home, they may be watching a football game or a movie, and I'm there. Sometimes I would have to remind them, like, hey, do you mind putting on the captions? You know, a family would be sitting around the dinner table, talking, conversing, and just not recognizing or realizing my presence to make sure that I'm in, involved in the conversation. And I'm used to that. Sometimes I just kind of enjoy myself, speaking to people one-on-one, -on -one, or read a book, or just not go. resources out there about who we are as deaf people. We're not looking for a savior, right? We're, you guys heard of the white savior um, theory. We have something like that with a hearing savior. We don't want them pity, taking pity on us. Take American Sign Language classes, go out in the community, um, meet them open to new ideas, to new voices, and to learn about us in that way by allowing us to tell our story. Celebrate our blackness and we can advocate for everyone's blackness. I mean, I think there's a lot more dangerous thing for deaf people than the police, for fuck's sake. Then they ran this article. I said I would never play a slave. Black actors discuss the fatigue around portraying black pain. This was a whole article, but yet when you go on there, that's all they want us to watch is slave shit. And then if it's not the deaf, it's not black men having to play slaves. 
They're serious on this one. Erasure of black women. In 2015, a SWAT team fired 30 rounds at a Navy vet and their partner, who was a person of interest in an alleged crime. Needless to say, the couple died, but their four-month-old son, who was in the back seat, somehow survived. The vet was a casualty of police violence. Her name is India Kager. And you probably haven't heard the story because she's a black woman. Today's baggage, the erasure of violence against black women. The 2020 uprisings have without a doubt made history. But what's glaring across social media and the mainstream news media is that the names of black women who are killed by police violence are often erased and not invoked at all. It took black women to uplift the name of Breonna Taylor, who was killed by Louisville Metro Police in March. But she's not the first black woman who lost her life to state sanctioned violence. Before Brianna, there was Shelly Frey, Michelle Cousseau, Tanisha Anderson, Corinne Gaines, Atatiana Jefferson. This heartbreaking list goes on and on. You might have heard of them, or maybe not. Here's why. There's a long history of the erasure of black women in conversations of state-sanctioned violence. Within an American context, this kind of violence towards black women started during the days of slavery. After surviving the transatlantic slave trade, enslaved black people had an equally perilous fate. Slave owners were allowed to kill and maim enslaved black people willy-nilly. Enslaved women were also raped by slave owners with no recourse because they were considered the property of their master. After emancipation, black men, women, and children were terrorized and lynched. Welcome to the Jim Crow era. During this time, black women were assaulted and raped with little protection of the law, and their lynchings also went overlooked. Kimberly Crenshaw is a law professor at UCLA and Columbia Law School and the executive director of the African American Policy Forum. She's well known for coining the term intersectionality as a way to describe how specific groups of people can experience multiple forms of oppression. So right now we have these historical narratives about uh, black men. When Trayvon Martin was killed, people saw Emmett Till in that moment. And it was a galvanizing moment in black history. It, take, it took us back to the beginning of the civil rights movement. But we don't have the equivalent when it comes to black women. Nobody knows, for example, Recy Taylor, who was the black woman who was raped and Rosa Parks got her start as an activist defending her. When it comes to black women and state-sanctioned violence, Crenshaw has found that there's specific patterns in the ways that we're killed. We're seen as superhuman, specifically in mental health crises, like in the case of Michelle Cousseau. And we're collateral damage, like in the cases of India Kager and Breonna Taylor. But what's starkly different about Taylor's case, though, is that this time, her name is being uplifted. I think it's the happenstance that Breonna Taylor was killed within the season of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. I think that if uh, Breonna Taylor had been killed in November, um, we probably would not uh, be saying her name. In fact, we know it. Tatiana Jefferson was killed in the fall. 
There was a very brief moment in which there were sympathies expressed towards the family uh, of this black woman who was killed in her own home. And then just as quickly, it dissipated. The frame around police violence is largely a male-male frame. It is a frame that devolves from lynching. It's the idea of black masculinity being constrained, being disciplined, uh, being snuffed out. There is a realness to that. But that is not the exclusive way in which racial violence has been experienced, particularly anti-black racial violence. And what would you say to the sort of excuse that people give, you know, well, there's no footage. So I'll remind people, we don't have any footage of Mike Brown. And yet that spurred the movement. But Crenshaw reminds us that we do have footage of Natasha McKenna being killed. In 2015, McKenna died in Fairfax County Jail during a schizophrenic episode. She was tased four times by the police. Her last words were, You promised that you wouldn't kill me. And then they proceed to kill her. There is no reason that I can think of why we're not marching and saying, You promised not to kill me with every bit of righteous outrage and indignation that we say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! Not only do we see the erasure of black women in social justice movements focusing on police violence, but gendered intra-racial violence, or violence within the race that both black trans and cis women face is also overlooked. Oluwatoyin Salau was a 19-year-old Black Lives Matter activist who was kidnapped, raped and killed in June. Look at my fucking hair, look at my skin, bruh. This shit, I can't take this shit off, so guess what, I'ma die about it. She was on the front lines, passionately speaking out in the name of black lives. But in her death, who was saying her name? There is a deep asymmetry in our history and in our country around fighting anti-black racism. There is an expectation that we show up and we do show up for our brothers and sons and our fathers. But what about showing up for us? If black women's loss of life or loss of sexual autonomy doesn't happen at the hands of non-black people, we don't see it as a matter of race, racist inequality. It sort of cancels itself out, kind of like what happened with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. While Salah wasn't killed by the racist police, Crenshaw says that we have to reflect on the conditions that made her life seem expendable. In 2014, Crenshaw created Say Her Name to honor black women whose lives were taken by the police. Say Her Name is both a rallying cry on social media and at flesh and blood protests to bring attention to the black women who are killed by state-sanctioned violence and to bring dignity to the families of those fallen women. That measure of loss, that measure of you know children crying for their mothers, uh, mothers crying for their daughters, is no less than how uh, daughters and, and parents of black men feel. Yet one would think that it's less important when one recognizes that their names are not lifted up when we're marching and demanding justice. So for us, it was easy to correct that much, just saying, say her name. We're now seeing people taking say her name and saying, say their names. 
Um, I'm curious as to whether or not you think that essentially it's, um, the movement is being hijacked, for lack of a better term. Well, you know, I would say that hijacked is a, is a term that more or less refers to intentional, you know, uh, taking of something. I think that a lot of people didn't know that Say Her Name was drawing attention to the thing that wasn't being said. Like when we were at the March in Eric Garner and some people came up to our poster and said, where are the men's names? And we were like, the men's names are on every other poster in this entire march. I think there are some folks who still believe that introducing the recognition that there are some who are left out is being divisive. Um, but it's the same way that some people think Black Lives Matter uh, is divisive, right? We have to say all lives matter. Well, we know all lives matter. The point is that we live in a society that acts as though some lives don't. That's why we say Black Lives Matter, and that's why we say say her name. So the work that I do is to try to tell other stories about what oppression looks like, try to tell different narratives about what we can do differently, not to blame ourselves and our women and our daughters for the conditions that the society has created for us. I've talked about girls, I've talked about trans women, I've talked about disabled black women. So when I say black women in all our diversity, I mean all black women. This is the demand of a fully inclusive racial justice campaign. Why aren't black girls and women seen as victims of racial abuse and protected? Why did it take the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd to collectively uplift the name of Breonna Taylor? And what about all the other black women who were killed by the police? Will the news cover their stories? Or will their lives and legacies become a distant memory? So when we say black lives matter, what black lives are you talking about? You know, I, I thought you guys were the top of the pyramid. I mean, last time I checked, I thought we were all supposed to bow down to black women. I thought black women were the shit. I mean, which is it? You can't have it both ways, folks. You can't go back and forth on this shit. And then you knew it was coming because it was just going to come eventually. New York Times, Portland protests were supposed to be about black lives. Now they're a white spectacle. Well, I could have told you that. It's the black out and the white allies that are doing all this stupid shit. And that's a whole front page fucking article. Then to the wokeness. Liberals cons conservation group, Sierra Club, getting rid of John Moore. He's a horrible fuck. Because white supremacy or something. Tampa Bay Rays on Twitter. Opening day, a great day to arrest Brianna Taylor's killers. That's that's what they tweeted. The arena examines global pandemic of racism. Demands sports owners stay focused on social justice, not fucking their job and shit like having a good product. And then I was going to go into our social media and pay that guy. I got banned for Facebook. Pretty boring video. I'm going to ignore it. But we got plenty, plenty of social media. My mom has been censored. My wife's been censored for nothing terrible. But Facebook is getting up in it because 
of the pressure from the left and it's an election year and they still blame them for Trump getting elected and blah blah well here's Twitter anti-semitic Twitter labels star of David as hateful imagery Twitter has been suspending accounts that prominently display the star David in their profile, yet the company refuses to remove anti-Semitic material and prominent anti-Semites like Farrakhan. According to Campaign Against Anti-Semitism, a volunteer organization United Kingdom, some Twitter users have been suspended for displaying hateful imagery in their profile. The, state, the Jerusalem Post stated that some of the images range from the Star David done in a graffiti style to a modern version look like a blue Star David on the Israeli flag. And they showed pictures. But Farrakhan, he, he's still up there. Yeah. Facebook shuts down page for largest back the blue rally. I've been seeing these. It's hard to get your message out when you can't put it on social media. So they're making sure they can't. Events supporting Black, Black Lives Matters are allowed to stay up on Facebook, but not events that support the police. According to law enforcement today, National Spokesman Kyle Reyes, the page for the Long Island Back the Blue rally scheduled to take place on July 25th was taken down on Facebook. We've had more than 6,300 people have already RSVP'd to the event on Facebook, and as of last night, Facebook took down the page with no explanation. He said July 24th episode of Fox and Friends. Now we know that Facebook has taken down the pages of other rallies and events over the last six months. We just didn't expect it to happen with Back the Blue event. Facebook was not available for comment. Reyes said the interview that he was expecting upward of 10,000 people. And that's probably why. Google blacklist newsbusters, conservative sites from search. Update. These sites are available again on Google. Organic search results. But they went in and found that they were making sure Red States, Breibart, Daily Caller, Human Events, the Media Research Center could not be found. But you were getting Newsweek, Daily Beast, Washington Post. I tried to search a bunch of shit this week. And I'm telling you, as much as I tried, I could not get it. They would only put liberal shit up. Then Google again apologizes after a bug blacklist do you actually believe that does anybody fucking believe that tomfoolery no no i don't so we're going to do our soundbite of the day and today we have two soundbites the first one is that judge judy i found it i just downloaded it this was george floyd on judge judy and joe rogan yeah joe rogan he is gonna move to texas because he's done with liberal california of Knight versus Floyd. Thank you. You're welcome, Judge. Parties have been sworn in. You may be seated. Mr. Floyd, you're not going to make any excuses for him, are you? No. Great. Then why don't you have a seat? This young man carjacked your car. Yes, he did. And he hurt you when he did it? Yes. And then he crashed the car? Yes. He was caught? Yes. Indicted? Convicted? Yes. I assume you took a plea, is that right? Yes. And placed on five years probation? You want him to compensate you for the damage to your car. That's correct. Minimally, that's all you're suing for, just the damage to your car. I'm listening. Well, Your Honor, what happened was I was coming from my girlfriend's house, and coming from my house, I got a little cold on the walk home. So I headed down one of the blocks, and I saw her come out of her vehicle, and I walked up to her. 
pushed her onto the grass, took her car, and I drove off up 89th and um, Jeffrey. Then that's where the police seen me. They started chasing me. Then when I got to South Chicago, even more police cars came, and that's when the chase began. And, and? when I got to the police barrier, they caught me. And? They took me out of the car and arrested me. Did you crash the car? Yes. You left that out? Who's supposed to pay for that? I guess I am, but since it wasn't my car. If it was your car, we wouldn't be here. Right. So who's supposed to pay for her damaged car? Whose fault is it? Well, it's my fault for crashing her car, but I shouldn't have to pay for it. Why? Because I was... I was the driver, and I wouldn't have crashed if the police were getting away. So it's the police's fault? Yes. It's the police's fault for chasing you? Yes. Look at your father. Look at your father. You think it's the police's fault? No. Good. How old are you? 16. How tall are you? 6'1". How much do you weigh? 172. How tall do you think she is? 5'5". Five, five. How much do you think she weighs? Probably... 130. Think she fell down hard when you pushed her? I pushed her in the grass. Think she fell down hard on the grass? I wasn't trying to hurt her. I was just trying to get the keys because I can get home. Did you ask for the keys? No. What do you do with your time, Mr. Floyd? I work with my father during carpentry. Perfect. Father's a carpenter? Yes. How many days a week does your father work? Seven days a week. Works hard? Yes. How many days do you work with him? Probably three days out of the week. Why? Because I have a personal life. You have a personal life? Yes. Your personal life is going to get less. Oh. You have a personal life? Yes. What kind of personal life do you have, Mr. Floyd? I have friends and a girlfriend. You have bums. You have bums. Because if your personal life involves hanging around with people who don't have jobs, then they're bums. Do you go to school? Yes. How many days a week do you go to school? Every day. You pass everything in school? No. Your friends who were part of your personal life, do they pass everything in school? I don't know. Not them. Is this the first time you were arrested? And convicted. That's not what... <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. And what's the story? You moving? I'm out of here. Yeah. When, when do you leave? Soon. Yeah. Texas or? Yeah, I'm going to go to Texas. I got a farm in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little cold. Vermont's cold. I, I, I just want to go somewhere in the center of the country, yep. somewhere it's easier to travel to both places, and somewhere where you have a little bit more freedom. Also, I think that um, where we live right here in Los Angeles is overcrowded. And I think most of the time that's not a problem. But I think it's exposing the fact that it's a real issue when you look at the number of pieces, people that uh, uh, are catching COVID because of this overpopulation issue, um, when you look at the traffic, when you look at the economic despair, when you look at the homelessness problem that's accelerated radically over the last uh, six, seven, ten years, I, I think there's too many people here. I think it's not tenable. I don't, I don't think it's manageable. And I, I think every mayor does a shit job of doing it because I don't think anybody could do a great job of it. I think there's like certain things you're going to have to deal with when you have a population of whatever the fuck L.A. is. It's like 20 million plus people. It's just too many people. It's too many people. Right. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I think mean, where you're living is probably the perfect way to do it. It's 500 people. <laughs> that's nuts. But then you got those uh, dudes yelling at you, where's the deer? You don't understand the, the language. I, I, I could go on. We could do uh, hours of 
the negatives of a small town. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. negatives. Everybody knows your business. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows what you're doing, where you're going. You know, there's pros and cons to everything. But I think, uh, I think you have a better opportunity at more pros when there's less folks. I agree. Yeah. So, so small town Texas or? Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. I got ideas. Nice. Jamie's coming. Nice. Look at him. He's all excited. It doesn't affect the business. No, we're just going to do it from there. But that's the other thing is Texas has comedy. They have stand-up comedy. I've been doing – I did – well, I haven't been doing, but I did one weekend in Texas while all this was going on. Mm. It was the first weekend I was able to do stand-up. But then my friends were in uh, San Antonio, and they got COVID down there. But those knuckleheads were out there talking to people and shaking hands yeah. and taking pictures and stuff. And I'm, Texas yeah. would be the last stand place to ever wear a mask or not shake a hand. Or, they right? wear masks, though. People yeah. are wearing masks. Last time I was there. Well, I think now they're woken up, right? I well, think. Yeah. this is a weird disease, man. <laughs> For This Is America Today, I have two sound bites. The first one is the challenger to Anya Presley got basically had to flee her house after BLM activists post vulgar video attacking her blackness and interracial marriage. Then we have Tucker Carlson again, because I cannot stress this enough. Not enough. What the Democrats are going to do to the Senate should scare the living shit out of you because without the filibuster, there is no minority at all. If the majority, even conservative, is in charge, they can ram shit that nobody agrees with. But Democrats aren't, and the media, really believe they're going to win everything in November, and they want to change the way we do government. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Off. And then this heifer running against Ayanna Presley, this one here with the white husband. At some point, we're going to have to have a conversation with black folks who get in a relationship with white folks and then forget that they black. We're going to have to have that conversation. And I know it's going to fuck with y'all nerves. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we're going to have to have that conversation because if white vagina and white penises jeopardize your melanin then we need you to sit in the back of the classroom and this ain't your part of the show and you don't get to talk right now and so you practice some self-love know your history and realize where the fuck you came from this ain't your part of the show we need you to sit in the back i need all the people that understand what it is to wake up black regardless of how many educated game symbols you have at the end of your name regardless of how close in proximity you are to white supremacy regardless of how many white penises you ride and I ain't mad at you, sis, because if you riding that motherfucker for a credit score, get you that house, boo. Get your 40 acres in your mule. Just don't forget that you's a nigga. Haitian black man. But I get it. He living in Utah. He getting pink, uncooked vagina. I get it. I get it. What I need you to do, though, 
is keep your mouth shut on black shit if you ain't ready to be black. That's what I need you to do. I need you to shut the fuck up. Tomorrow and be disrespectful. And I'll be damned if I let this, this, this melanin adjacent woman whose proximity to white supremacy is so disgusting, right? Um, be disrespectful to our congresswoman because white folks have convinced her that they she been drinking the water. I don't I don't know. I just white folks have convinced her that she was better. I don't know. She was one of those. Um, she's an exceptional Negro. Is that what it is? Uh, she she crossed county lines to disrespect a white woman. Malcolm X would have blew somebody's fucking head off or ordered the mother. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. For more than two centuries, the U.S. Senate has required the support of at least 60 senators before they pass major pieces of legislation. That makes for a cumbersome system. It requires compromise and patience. It delays the passage of laws. But it has endured through the centuries, despite leadership of the body. At times, Senate has been controlled by Republicans. Other times, it's been controlled by Democrats. But that standard, the standard of 60 votes, often referred to as the filibuster rule, has never changed. We've had it since 1806 when Thomas Jefferson was the president. But why is that? It's not just because U.S. senators tend to be pompous and mindlessly wedded to tradition, though obviously they are. It's because this is a democracy. Sober people know that before you make big changes to a country, you had better be certain that a large majority of your citizens support what you're doing. That's the principle behind our entire system of government. And whatever you do as a lawmaker, you'd better be thoughtful about it, absolutely certain that what you're doing is wise and won't hurt your grandchildren in ways that you haven't bothered to think through. And that's why for 214 years, we've required a supermajority in the Senate. It's not just an arcane piece of Senate procedure. It's central to the way the country works. But what would happen if suddenly people with very different attitudes took control of our system? What if these new people didn't care about the wisdom or long-term consequences of the things they did? What if they didn't believe in democracy? What if they considered debate and persuasion, winning people over, pointless, even immoral, and instead intended to rule by force? What if all these people cared about was power? Well, people like that, of course, would hate the filibuster rule. It would be an obstacle in their path to total control, and they would be desperate to eliminate it. They never admit that out loud, needless to say. They'd, they'd never be direct about anything. In fact, they would despise clear, precise English, and they would punish anyone who dared to speak it. People like this would instead rely on feline misdirection to get what they wanted. They'd lie about everything, boldly and without shame. They would denounce their enemies for the very sins they themselves were committing. If they wanted to turn America into a one-party state, for example, a state that they alone control, they wouldn't say that out loud. They would instead accuse anyone who opposed that goal of, quote, partisanship. And they wouldn't even smile as they said it. Watch. When the Democrats have the White House again, if Mitch McConnell tries to do what he did to President Obama and put small-minded partisanship ahead of solving the massive problems in this country, then we should get rid of the filibuster. Small-minded partisanship. 
Well, Joe Biden served in the U.S. Senate for decades. He always supported the filibuster when he was there. Now, Biden appears to agree with Elizabeth Warren. If Republicans won't obey the newly ascended Democratic Party, Biden said recently, we'll just cut them out of the conversation. Chuck Schumer, of course, is on board, too. Vice President Biden recently suggested that he would be open to supporting eliminating the filibuster uh, if Republicans obstruct his agenda. Where, where do you stand on that? Are you more receptive to look, taking a look at doing that? Job number one is for us to get the majority. Uh, we don't take anything for granted, but it's looking better and better. And once we get the majority, we'll discuss it in our caucus. Nothing's off the table. Nothing's off the table. In other words, the second we take control, and that could be soon, we're getting rid of the filibuster. So how do you do that exactly? How do you justify on what grounds do you change a system that has worked demonstrably well for centuries? Well, you justify it the same way you justify tearing down ancient statues that until last week weren't even controversial. You claim they represent bigotry. They're already doing that. Last month, the Atlantic denounced the filibuster as, quote, another monument to white supremacy. On Sunday, faithful Democratic Party lackey Ron Brownstein wrote a piece arguing that getting rid of the filibuster is, quote, a civil rights issue. Because apparently Democrats used the filibuster 60 years ago to slow the passage of civil rights legislation, which, by the way, passed anyway. And therefore, Republicans are bigots for wanting to keep the filibuster. Following that? That's the level of debate currently underway among smart people in Washington. It's moronic. But it's also transparent. That doesn't mean it's not working, though. It is. The filibuster could soon be gone. There's a lot at stake in this conversation. It's not obscure. It's real and it's practical. With the last check and balance gone, there will be no limit to the ways the Democratic Party can remake the country in their first few months in power. We don't have to guess about their plans. They've told us what they plan to do. And without a filibuster, they will be fully capable of doing it. Turn gun owners into criminals. Let actual criminals go free ban all criticism of their ideas and behavior, crush independent media voices like this channel, pass the lunatic Green New Deal, which does nothing for the environment and does an awful lot for their control of the country, pack the Senate by making D.C. a state, pack the Supreme Court by simply packing it, adding more justices. And just to make certain they never lose another election, add tens of millions of foreign nationals to U.S. voter rolls. They will call that immigration reform. They'll dare you to call it something else. They'll charge you with hate speech if you try. You think they won't do all that? Why wouldn't they do all that? Their voters, their core voters, are demanding they do all that. And with no filibuster, they can because no one can stop them. My God, can you imagine if a conservative ran a black woman out of a house? Think about that for a second. <clears throat> Didn't even make the news. Other This Is America shit. Pro-life Democrats call out parties abortion extremism disturbing parallel to Dred Scott. Democrats for Life led a coalition against the Democratic Party explicit support for abortion extremism in its national platform in an open letter released on Friday. The letter, which points out abortion disturbing parallels to Dred Scott, was signed by a diverse group of over 100 Democrats and independent religious leaders, professors, community leaders, according to Life News. This letter demonstrates the strength and opposition of Joe Biden's belief about abortion, especially from Democratic voters of color and religious voters. This breaks it down. I'm not going to bug you on this, but just remember, they kill more black babies than anybody could 
ever want to do if they really were a white supremacist. Even PPFA has had to remove Margaret Sanger, but somehow, some way, our media ignores it. There was a bunch of articles this week also about the racist past of the Democrats that nobody in the media covers. It just shows there's just double standards on everything. Then we have Alyssa Milano. I'm voting for Biden because he has the experience delayed on day one. He is empathetic and knows the pain of loss. He knows how to rebuild a broken economy. He is a patriot who has so much respect for world leaders. And the below is Trump's America. Anna Ziegler, this is Trump's America. We can govern our own deep blue, violent, corrupt cities. Pick one. Biden has been in office for over 40 years and has accomplished nothing. She didn't see. That's what she retweeted. Another person. All the rioters, looters, building burners, and murderers you're referring to a Democrats. I know you're not too keen on history of civics. This is an anarchy seen in exclusive Democrat-run cities. The president is putting an end to the madness. They're federal buildings. He has to. Then you see Stephen King, Joy Behar, many other ones. I have started to see a lot of Trump signs in my little patch of America, and each one provokes the same surge of unreality. I think, really? After all the deaths and all he's done to wreck the economy? Really? And replies from the left, move. Richard Grinnell, diversity and tolerance are under attack by the crowd that used to be for it. And he spot the fuck on. Other article that I had to put at the end. Tom Cotton. The New York Times, explicit Chinese propaganda, no problem. Op-ed from Republican senators supported by most Americans, fire the editor. New York Times opinion. The United States had two months or more to learn from China's experience with the coronavirus, writes Yi Ro. It could have done much more to lower infection rates and fatalities. Does anybody believe any of that bullshit. Does anybody? They lied about everything from jump. But he's spot on. They'll do the Taliban. They'll do Putin. Anybody. But a conservative writes an op-ed. And they fucking fire the editor. That says it all. Then I was going to do a lighter fare, But decided just to do one article and leave you on that before we close this pig out. I really don't even know how to think about this. I, I just, it just shocked me that this is actually real. KFC announces plan for 3d printed chicken nuggets. And it's even more bizarre than you imagine. If anybody's watched a sci-fi show, everything tastes like chicken and sci-fi slow. Even the Matrix. I don't know if I want 3D printed food. I'm just, uh, I'm a fat guy. I want food food. Not 3D printed food. 
So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com and get this show on soundcloud podcast addict tune and radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher down and pocket cast remember to check out our twitter page at fop tony reed our next podcast is going to be uh 29 july year of our lord 2020 i want to thank all the listens wow somebody retweeted our podcast and it went through the fucking roof i mean through the roof the last show alone got listened to 180 times from what I can track. And our listens have, have just gone freaking crazy. So thank you so much. Once again, we're a, a, a listener supporting place. You got something to say? You want a story on something? You just send me an email at foppodcast.gmail.com. I'll do it. The Ukraine, United Kingdom, uh, the top cities. Once again, it's it's uh dublin dublin how you doing ireland thank you uh, a lot of foreign listens this this month um seriously um but the united states alone had 1000 listens this week so i thank you all for listening i hope it's enjoyable i know this one was a little chewed up but i had to stop in mid mid sentence to do a family call which i really enjoy doing get to see matt in oregon and my sis, big sis in Colorado, and the folks, and my brother Randy was there, and um, it's nice to catch up and hear that everybody's safe, even though they're in Afghanistan, or Antifa-stan, as my brother calls it, out there in Portland. It's it's some crazy times. So make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs, and tune back in Wednesday for another exciting show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.